welcome to another quarantine stream. I am, of course, Joe Magician, and today I have another exciting topic and guest for you while we're all stuck indoors, trying our best not to go crazy. Last week, poor Quentin of Nauticast joined me for an extensive look at the soulless black hole of evil known as Euron Greyjoy. This week, though, we're going to change gears a little bit, and we'll be going south from the Iron Islands to the fabulous castle Starfall, nestled in the Red Mountains of Dorne. We have the ancient and mysterious, as of Valyrian Sphinx, House Dane. Joining me today is none other than the fandom's, I would say, most passionate Dane supporter and owner of her very own Ashara Dane-themed Spotify playlist, Chloe of the Girls Gone Canon podcast. Very excited to have you on today to talk about what is, I would say, our biggest crossover and interests in the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. <laughs> Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, we've talked before about Eamon, we've, but now we're now we're we're going down. We're getting the we're getting the Dane juices flowing. This is like our common ground. This is before we even knew each other. We were writing about House Dane, so we knew each other from afar. It's like that person gets Dane, even though I don't know who they are. They get me. They get me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We had you on back uh, in John with uh, what's that guy called? What's his name that you like? Was it Aegon, uh, right? Shaman, Shaman Targaryen. No, um, Anis, 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 Anis. What's his name? Who is it? What is his name? Oh, you know, just Maester Aemon, <laughs> the guy that made it so far in um, Davos's Fingers tournament that I am so proud of our little Aemon. Oh. He got knocked out. Nobody thought he was going to win, but look how far he got. Hey, I feel you. I'm wrapping. I'm wrapping mine today because I know he's going to go down too in flames. Unfortunately, but. Oh, yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. But I'll go down with him, goddammit. I'll go down with him. <laughs> go down something with Sandor. Listen. Anyway, listen. Uh, so I thought a good place to start with the Danes of Starfall, how they are kind of introduced to us all the way back in a Game of Thrones Catalan 2, and how they are kind of immediately inserted into what the primary mystery of the book series, which is Jon Snow and RLJ. Chloe, I think this is probably your fav- one of your favorite passages. You want to read it? Ned would not speak of the mother, not so much as a word, but a castle has no secrets, and Catelyn heard her maids repeating tales they heard from the lips of her husband's soldiers. They whispered of Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning, deadliest of the seven knights of Aerys's Kingsguard, and of how their young lord had slain him in single combat. And they told how afterward Ned had carried Sir Arthur's sword back to the beautiful young sister who awaited him in a castle called Starfall on the shores of the summer sea. The Lady Ashara Dane, tall and fair with haunting violet eyes. It had taken her a fortnight to marshal her courage, but finally, in bed one night, Catelyn had asked her husband the truth of it, asked him to his face. That was the only time in all their years that Ned had ever frightened her. Never ask me about John, he said, cold as ice. He is my blood, and that is all you need to know. And now I will learn where you heard that name, my lady. She had pledged to obey, she told him. And from that day on, the whispering had stopped, and Ashara Dane's name was never heard in Winterfell again. Wow. That is, that's an introduction to House Dane, if I ever heard it. Arthur, Ashara, John, Ned, the Tower of Joy, very early on in the books. And from this quote, we are told, 
two of the most significant members of the Danes in the story, which is obviously Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, and Lady Ashara Dane with the haunting purple eyes. And that they and their house are really inter- deeply intertwined with the story that, jo- that George is telling us. As Gurm tells us, though, before we go north, we must go, we must go south. Bef- to reach the west, we must go, wow, we must go east. This is kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> to go forward, we must go back. And to touch the light, we must path beneath the shadow. And the Danes are no different. To understand where they are going, we must start back. And the Danes go all the way back. They go back. As far as it goes, apparently, they from what little information we're giving about their founding, they go back to the Dawn Ages, which may as well be infinity as far as George is concerned. So far back, there's no real. There's no real record of where they came from, because, and it's it's just kind of weird, even older than the age of heroes. Um, they're like one of the primal houses in Westeros, and a lot of these houses tend to teach. Um, trace their origins back to maybe like one particular person. You get a lot of Garth Green hands. You get like um, House Bulwer and their bull guy. You get Brandon Stark. Danes don't even have that. They don't have a person. They don't have some mythical figure that they're really um, that they're really descending from. Not even somebody so old. Maybe they lost their name. Their story is the weirdest one I would say in A Song of Ice and Fire. And that is they followed a falling star to an island on the Torrentine River, found a magic rock and said, you know what? This is our home now. What, what the hell, Chloe? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, they literally like, we worship moon rock. Ha ha. <laughs> no, it is weird, right? Uh, it has a lot of different magical elements that really come to mind with it. And I know we kind of uh, got a little, I don't know, watered down with magic. If you haven't reread the books lately and you're going off the show mostly, but there's so much magic in the books and the Danes seem to kind of be at the mouth of it. Like not just at the mouth of the Torrentine, but at the mouth of all the magic. Um, I think there's a lot of connections they have with possibly like a geo you know, first come kind of Valyrian-esque thing, but I don't think they're proto-Valyrian like a lot of people do. I really do think there's a huge mixing of blood going on here. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even their their ancient origins, the idea of, like, following, chasing after a falling star, I mean, that's happening in the current story, too. We see the bleeding red star or the red wanderer that's going across Westeros, and everybody is sort of seeing that as, like, this is my time. This is now my future. This means everything for me. And you can sort of see that here with the Danes. It's like, well, a lot of people probably followed a comet or some sort of meteor or something like that. Although not many of them have uh, like, you know, found where it landed and then said, you know what? I'm making a cool sword from that. <laughs> Very Avatar, like uh, big Sokka energy making the space sword. Um, and one thing that's extremely similar to this, I wrote about this uh, a few years ago on Reddit. It was called, um, because I'm so clever, I called it Dane, Dane, what's in a name? And it actually goes back to that the origin story of the Danes is nearly identical to the origin stories of, from Lord of the Rings, the mythical humans known as the Edane. Or actually, that's probably not how you pronounce it. It's probably like Edain or something weird like that because it's Tolkien. <laughs> but essentially, they did the same thing. They followed the star. Uh, they star followed the star Irondil until they found the island in the shape of a five-pointed star and named it Numenor, which is where we get the Numeronians, where Aragorn's lineage comes back to. But then af- after 
they ended up leaving Numenor because the gods cursed them and blew it up and blah, blah, blah. They go to mainland Middle Earth. They found the kingdom of Arnor, Arnor, and then finally gets split into three smaller kingdoms. That, the names are kind of whatever, except for the third one. The third one's really interesting. So you get um, Cardolan, Rudar, and then Arthedain. Arthedane, Arthedane. Arthedane. <laughs> it's right there. It's it's one to the other, very much telling us from uh, from George that these are ancient people. They are magical. He wants you to think Lord of the Rings. He wants you to think high fantasy. And he wants you to know that they are extremely intertwined with the magical side of this world by making that kind of reference. And you had some other uh, really cool ideas about um, where their name comes from. Yeah, George has done a lot of great work as far as Arthurian kind of uh, emotions behind the Dane, right? They really are. And I think a lot of the rebellion has that feel of that Arthurian romance. Uh, you already have Arthur of the Round Table, right? Nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's basically nothing exciting. But there is a lot of etymology with House Dane, like right down to Ashara. Uh, I think George was very strongly pulling from Ashera or Atharat, the the goddess basically consort of God, of El, uh, the supreme god of Canaan and father of Baal. And Atharat can technically be translated. There's a couple translations depending on if you're looking at it through Israel or what you're looking at it through. But basically it's lady of the sea or she who walks on sea. So you can't really tell me George wasn't thinking about that when they were named. And it gets weirder than that because you even have considering Illyria Dane, uh, Illyria, which is kind of the tribes from northwest of Macedonia. It's kind of a problematic phrase, but the Greek called them Illyrians. Uh, but basically anyone in Yugoslavia or what's now Albania. And it means land of the free or freedom land in Albanian origin. But the meaning of Illyria is described by Illyrians with an I as from the stars. Uh-huh. Yes. There so there it is. It's very much so uh, George chose star names for all of this. I would say maximum star names. He's doing everything he can <laughs> to point at them and be like, look at all these weird things. Look how much they love stars. Look how much they love magic. Look, look at all this stuff. And it's like, by the way, these are deeply involved with my story and you need to understand them. It's, it's kind of like, um, the others show up and they scare you with their fantasy and their zombies. The Danes show up and are kind of serving a similar purpose. They're showing up with a high fantasy background, high fantasy, um, characters and origins and it's the same thing he's trying to remind you this isn't just like people running around playing crusader kings too like uh, this isn't just (laughs) politics and war there isn't a heavy element of magic which the danes really symbolize early on on the non-terrifying side i would say yeah more of a very mystical stars and moons and no one quite knows (laughs) their origins lost to the uh, sands of time oh sands of dorn Yes, (laughs) I went there Um, and there's even something in where they where they choose to live and um, that tells us really how old and how um, magical they are. And that is that they live in the Red Mountains of Dorne on the on an island in the middle of the Torrentine River. I don't have to tell you guys how much if you play Crusader Kings 2, how much (laughs) this area sucks to try and like. Uh, be 
a conqueror try to build anything from. There's almost no agriculture. There's no natural resources. They're not like Cashley Rock where they got a gold mine in the back where they're using it to build power. It's not even really that populated. Basically, all they really have is the Red Mountains and the Deserts of Dorne to protect them. And that's kind of it. But if you look at, hang on, I have a picture here that we can show. Yes. Oh. This is what George imagined Starfall to look like. Does this look like something that's like from a poor, low populated resource research lacking area? No, this looks like an incredible fantasy castle, the kind of thing you'd see in the reach. Like this should be something that one of the greatest lords in Westeros lives in. But no, this is where the Danes live in the worst part. It's kind of strange that way. Um, it, it, I think it really shows a downward um, progression in power from probably where they used to be in the um, in the Dawn Ages or even the Age of Heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you consider their fall from Nymeria's landing. Right. Mm-hmm. There's so many. I mean, they were kind of on top of the world. No one was. One, there was no one ruler. Wealth was a plenty for those that tried to strike out and grab it. Um, you have Samuel Starfire Dane sacking Old Town, Joffrey sieging Old Town, Davos Dane marrying Queen Nymeria, which that was a huge thing, obviously, to mm-hmm. secure secure power. But that was also pretty much a uh, a last step. Of, well, this saves us from all going to the wall. Yeah. Because. <laughs> All the other kings went to the wall. Those who kneel didn't. Yeah. Vorian got sent there. And it's also. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of tells you that. Dorne used, probably used to be different. When you hear from the Hammer of Waters. That the swamps of the Cranog Med. One of your probably your second favorite area in Westeros. <laughs> didn't used to be there. That the Hammer of Waters fell. And then the swamps arrived. Well. If we also hear that the arm of Dorne was broken behind the Andals when they invaded, maybe there's some sort of climate change thing going on. Maybe there's some sort of uh, long-term reason that Dorne has become the desert it is now. And in the long past, yeah, they probably could have supported the kind of family that would have built Starfall, that would have been the sort of family that's conquering Dorne, going into the reach and punching in the, those... Um, the high towers and their faces and taking all their stuff, which they really can't do anymore. And um, yeah, I think it says a lot about George's idea of where the Danes have been and where they are now as sort of a narrative idea. Yeah. um, You see it even when you look at the rebellion, right? The Danes were kind of right-hand men following the Martells. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also you see Arthur being part of the Kingsguard. You think about Jamie who joined the Kingsguard. Arthur joining the Kingsguard, maybe it was because he was an amazing knight, but could there be something there, you know, between the families? Could there be something to look at further? Is this a Targaryen versus Dane thing happening? A Martell and Targaryen versus Dane? I mean, it's a power play, right? They no longer had real power. That was their grab on power. Absolutely. And the, the rivalry between the Danes and the Martells continues to this day. I mean, we'll get to him later with Darkstar and his of the night stuff. But mm-hmm. the the kings of the Torrentine have not forgotten that Nymeria made them give up their crown and their power in the area. And mm-hmm. they continue, even long after it seems like Dorne has changed for the worse in terms of being a what we think of as a prosperous nation state. Like, 
It's, it's actually something I was wondering when I was looking at the the map of Dorne and especially like Old Town in that area. Doesn't it look like there should have been a harbor right up where Starfall is? There's a little inlet right there. Mm-hmm. And if the Torrentine, the Torrentine now is awful. It's like rapids. It's way too fast. What if it wasn't in the past? What if when they built there, it was idyllic and it was a slow moving trade river and they little town sitting right there, a trade port. And maybe that's how they built their power. But 10,000 years later, that's all gone. Yeah, it is, especially, again, playing CK2, it is literally set up like it should have a nice little port right there Mm -hmm. you should be making trade money with. Um, But, alas, I'm curious about that. I bet they would have had, I mean, they had a whole kingdom. You know, it's almost like a forgotten marble kingdom. Yeah, it's kind of like old stones in the way where it's like, what if the muds were still around? Well, they would probably be sucking kind of like the Danes do now. No offense to the Danes. I'm very sorry, Chloe. They are effectively sucking these days they are not the high-born kings anymore they're kind of just mid-tier nobles in dorn which isn't even that powerful mm, but but wait let me just hold on dr <laughs> professor magician are you saying that feudalism is good because that's what it sounded like mm. oof is feudalism good that is a great question <laughs> no it sucks <laughs> <laughs> as but, you were but it doesn't even seem like they're set up that well anymore to succeed in that system. Whereas other houses, um, especially after the arrival of the Martells, really latched onto that. But one sure. thing, one big question about the Danes that always comes up and every person that reads A Song of Ice and Fire goes on Reddit and makes this post. Are they Valyrians? Because they certainly look like it and they certainly kind of act like these weird elvish creatures. They have their purple eyes, the pale skin. They sometimes still have silver and gold hair or white hair like the Targaryens do. And yet, um, George has been loath to confirm that in a way that he really hasn't with the other Westerosi Valyrian houses. Like you ask him about the Valyrians and the Celtigars, he's like, oh yeah. They're Valyrians, too. I know exactly where they came from in Valyria. You ask him about the Danes, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't take that stuff seriously. And we actually have a quote here um, from an old, old chat uh, <laughs> from, the, <laughs> from the dark ages of the Internet. George was answering questions. Can you imagine that? Him doing a live chat and people getting to ask him questions. Wouldn't that be great? My God, stop. That would be awful for him. I'm so sorry, George. We don't deserve you. None <laughs> yeah. of us. We don't deserve you. No. Uh, so this is actually between Ran or Elo Garcia and George, because apparently Elio has been repping house Dane for like 15, 20 years at this point. It's longer than us. Longer, longer than, than us. us. Elio, we'll the give it o- up to him. OG Dane <laughs> Stan, I would say. Uh, so his question is, Ashara Dane is described as having violet eyes. Is this from a marriage to the Martells after Daron the second sister married into that line, thus giving them Targaryen features? from other Valyrian descendants. And uh, mind telling us the Dane banner emblem and field, the sword of the morning and his sister has caught my attention. Do you want to be George? Chloe? Oh, I've always wanted to be. I would have to consult my notes to tell you the Dane arms offhand. I don't recall as for the violet eyes. Look, Elizabeth Taylor has violet eyes and she's not of Valyrian descent that I know. Ah, George, nor is she related to Aegon the conqueror. Many Swedes have blue eyes, but not all those with blue eyes are Swedes, and not all Swedes have blue eyes. The same confusion exists in the Seven Kingdoms. That's a very apt thing, and I think there's something else he said about Renly, I think it was, when he miseyed Renly, and it was blue and, mm-hmm. and uh, green. It was green instead of blue, and everyone was like, oh, Renly! 
friendly Baratheon. The seed is strong. How could you forget that? And I think he responded with something. It's in a so spink Martin. And it was like, uh, listen, like, I don't really, the eye color isn't that important. Mm -hmm. You guys, like there's other things that are important in this story to pay attention to. If you want bigger hints, yada, yada about stuff. And the fact that here, he really cares about the Danes purple eyes and how different they are. Like they're not Valyrian purple. They're just purple to me says volumes. Like, yeah. Volumes. And then there's the second quote where he continues to hammer home the point that like, guys, 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 don't pay attention to the eyes. There's more important things. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the other thing that he says is that, if you want to figure out a family's descent, the better clue than the eyes is to look at the names. First men names tend to have simpler names, shorter names, Stark, Reed, Flint, Tallheart. The Valyrian ones are distinct. Uh, we all know what the Valyrian names are. The A.E. Uh, mm -hmm. usually suggests a Valyrian in the family tree. And then Andal names are not that. So <laughs> he basically says that if that makes sense, Lannister, Aaron, Tyrell, they don't fit that quick one syllable beat for a first man name. Uh, he also says that you have to remember the inbreeding between everyone for hundreds and thousands of years. So no one is pure Andal or first man. No, he, he is really being defensive about like they are not Valyrians. There's all these other explanations for what they could be. And if you look at the Danes, yeah, you're right. They don't follow the name structure um, and their first names. None of them sound Valyrian. They sound typically Andalish, Westerosi, um, like Samwell. We have a uh, Valvorian's kind of weird, but then you get Arthur, you get get Ashara, you get Edric. Like these are all typical Westerosi names. These are not high Valyrian names. Mm hmm. So yeah. if if they are connected, it is so long ago they gave up the naming conventions mm -hmm. in some way, which probably means that they're much older than that. And then the other uh, weird thing that people point to for are they Valyrians? Well, you have Dawn, their ancestral weird meteor sword, apparently pale as milk glass. It shares a lot of similarities to Valyrian steel in terms of the sharpness. You don't need to ever have any upkeep on it it's stronger than normal metal you can basically just cut through armor like butter that kind of thing and you look at that and you look at Valyrian steel like well aren't these the same and nope. George has gone out of his way to say no Don is not Valyrian steel okay me staring into the camera George please please <laughs> please what is uh, it? yeah no one knows and it's the same similar feeling right very same theme that it's not Valyrian specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and how it's passed down is super crazy, right? Yeah. It's non-hereditary. Most ancestral weapons we see, like Blackfire, Aegon giving uh, Aegon the Fourth giving Blackfire to Daemon. That was a big deal, right? Like that. That was like a huge like that started wars. But Dawn, they don't play that game. There's no Dragonstone, so that you get to be the prince. It is here is Dawn because you are question mark question mark sort of the morning. What does Question that mean? <laughs> it, it's, it's like sort of a meritocracy idea. It's like the most worthy gets it. I mean, we're talking about sword in the stone, that kind of thing. Although one thing I thought about um, in terms of why it might not be hereditary is that the Martells forced Dorne to become um, non-male primogeniture. They mm -hmm. made it so females can also inherit. I can imagine that the male Danes were like, I'm not giving my sword to my sister. That kind of thing, because a lot of their stories about their ancient past are all warriors. They're all fighting people. They're all sacking towns. So you can see that they would not want to 
their um their masculinity in some way would mean they would not want to make dawn inheritable in that way although it also points to that this is an extremely extremely old tradition Mm-hmm. there's nothing else like this nobody else is giving out swords based on merit except for basically Aegon the fourth who is a piece of shit i don't yeah, think but that isn't a- even like like he has 20 kids to choose from you know what yeah. i mean like you get the sword i guess <laughs> this <laughs> one roll a die whatever, man yeah, yeah. Whatever. I got <laughs> you got this swords. one you got this one you got this one you got and uh, i don't know one thing that you brought up here though with that primogeniture uh coming to starfall it turns out there are other places that seem to practice that though right like Mm -hmm. uh in the the marches or sorry in the north in the neck the reeds mira is the air just interesting very interesting interesting how that's practiced in other Mm -hmm. places of westeros very rarely but where it is might be important i feel like you're Mm -hmm. referencing something it's right there i just can't hatch hatch. i don't know we'll get back it's gone like a star (laughs) Like a like a meteor, a falling falling star, Um, and this sort of brings up the question: like, okay, so how do you get dawn? Are is it like, do they shove it back into the meteor, and then you have to pull it out like Excalibur? Like, what what the hell's going on here? Yeah, I'm guessing it's more of a thematic pulling out of the stone, right? But. It's very much the point George is making with those Arthurian beats behind House Dane. It brings in that whole sort of the evening dark Dane thing. He wants to be a thing, the Bat Danes, right? And uh, yeah. I don't know. The other thing that every tinfoiler loves is that George has never said it has to be a Dane. Just a sword in the morning has to rise and claim it. How do you become a sword in the morning? Who knows? Is it a series of physical challenges? Do you have to like climb up the white sword tower? Do you have to beat somebody in arm wrestling? Is it like rock, paper, scissors? Oh, well, pff, man, you're really good at that sort of uh, morning. Like a double day or 2000. <laughs> oh, my God. Would that be a get in the nose? <laughs> All right. So now you have to swim. A, you have to swim across the quarantine river. Oh, my God. And except it's jello. <sighs> purple jello. <laughs> this is perfect. Oh my God. Uh, super chat here from San Rixian, uh, $5. Thank you very much. Her comment is Hashara intensifies. That's what I was thinking of. It's Hashara. Oh, interesting. It intensifies. Um, (laughs) I think all this is really pointing to when you combine with their names, the weirdness of Dawn, not being Valyrians, but looking Valyrians. Okay. So there's some common ancestor with them. And one of these many fallen great empires, like could be Great Empire of the Dawn, could be like something from E.T., could be something from Karth, uh, whatever. There's hints everywhere that there are ancient societies that were in Westeros previously that no longer. Like you look at the the high towers and Battle Isle with their few stone fortresses. You look at um, Sothorios with um, all the weird ruins they have in the jungles. George is basically throwing it at you that there's way more civilizations that have risen and fallen than I'm telling you. So Danes are obviously connected to some of them and there's something to do with eye color. There's something about purple eye color. Maybe some, you look at the, the gemstone emperors in particular, mm-hmm. when you see Danny's vision of them um, before she hatches the dragons, she sees the gemstone emperors and they all have um, different color eyes. There's yellow, green, purple etc etc so okay i guess in his world there's this idea that there's a magical eyes magical eyes sure yeah and uh, that's what the danes have yeah and i mean the world of ice and fire is really great for that and a lot of people think that the idea of the great empire of the dawn being like 
you know, Danes is far-fetched, but it makes total sense because why the hell would he name it the great empire of the dawn? Yeah. Dawn. You know what I mean? It's like dawn, dawn. Oh wow. They have dawn in common. That can't be a thing. There are some things in that history book to think about. Like I always like to read those side books with the idea that since he's doing a deep dive fire and blood, for example, the Kristen Cole kind of stuff back and forth, we'll never know because that was it. Like mm-hmm. that was the deep dive. Now we get to speculate <laughs> for fun and we will never get an answer. Like we're not going to get an answer on a lot of stuff that he brought up in fire and blood part one. Nope. Um, and the world of ice and fire kind of feels like that too. It's a lot of that sandbox play and you see all these different families that are set up. It wouldn't surprise me if all of them have this common ancestor uh, by the time the first men and the Valerians and the Andals all start banging it out. All the genes have probably preceded it. I mean, mm-hmm. in the world of ice and fire, there's the bit about how, uh, in the north, the Marsh Kings are intermixed with House Reed now, basically, is what's thought of. And there's this thing that Archmaster Aaron writes that uh, the Cranigmen saw their kings as the first among equals who were often thought to be touched by the old gods, a fact that was said to show itself in the eyes of strange hues or in speaking with animals as the children are said to have done. So there's this like mini theory George slides in and he's like, they could be children of the forest. Ever notice that? <sighs> And you look at places like in Ib, there's the same thing, right? In Ib, they have kind of what seems like the very beginning of the children of the forest. Um, It feels like all these common first ancestors, right? Like Hogwarts houses, right? Like Salazar Mm -hmm. Slytherin ruled the land before. Uh, That's what it feels like to me. I think everyone and a lot of people do the blood magic stuff better than I do. I don't really go into it that much, but like, you know, like the Blackwoods banged this Stark, which means this Stark is going to be this and do this and they can see everything forever. And um, I don't know about that. It's not for me, but I do know that like at this point, they've all kind of, there's blood everywhere. You know, there's genes all over the place. The Danes have been um, fucking up and down Dorn for 5,000 years. So the Danes fucked. Yes, that is (laughs) Danes fuck. Okay. Uh, They've married everybody in the area. They're probably killing their own kin when they go into the reach to go uh, with the other marcher lords. So it happens all the time. Like you even see it with the Starks, like the gray Starks exist, which were their (laughs) cadet branch that they then exterminated. So, you know, everyone marries with everybody except for the Boltons. But there is one thing the Danes did, and that was exterminating that pussy, is what we're saying. (laughs) Making that star fall on that pussy. Oh, my God. Okay. So what is the point of all these connections that we're talking about? Please tell me, Dr. Uh, Magician. Okay. So the point of all these connections is that as we're starting the story, as we're talking about John, John Snow and Ned and all these things, is that there is a magical and sort of ancient maybe prophetic part to the story of why john why ned came back with john snow you introduce the danes into that to kind of throw this um oh what's the right word throw this window dressing or let's say whatever you have going on behind you george is doing the same thing with the dance where he's making sure that you know it wasn't just a simple like Romeo and Juliet situation with Rhaegar and Lyanna. There's something else going on. And with the Danes, I mean, even their origins really point that way. They aren't just a guy who won a battle or somebody that delivered a message like the Dondarians, or even say somebody that saved a Lord with their dogs. And therefore that's now their sigil. The, theirs is a falling star, a sword made for meteors. They built a fabulous high fantasy castle. They're former Kings. Their color is purple. The color of Kings. It's like, 
that they're involved with Jon Snow is marking him as royal, magical, and special, I would say. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, if you really want to take that theory a little farther or that, like, speculating, I mean, look at Azora High, right? Bleeding, mm-hmm. bleed, you know, a bleeding star born under a... It's... That's what they did in the show with the not so subtle. Hey, look at Dawn covered in blood over Jon Snow being born. Wink, 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 wink. Yeah, wink, right. Wink. But I mean, that is basically what's what we get in the book. So yeah, um, I, I think it's, some of it's really cut and dry. I feel like there's an obvious like bold line through the books. The Danes are obviously existing to show that magic like is on a subtler level still there that <laughs> The prophecy, I'm pretty sure there was very much so prophecy involved for the Danes to like not only have possibly Ashara involved in all of the rebellion stuff. And if you guys have not read, what is it, the Heron Hall conspiracies by, is it King Littlefinger that wrote yeah. those? Am mm-hmm. I right? Yeah. It's one of my favorite pieces. In fact, I think if I recall, I used part of it in one of my Ashara pieces and they said something like, oh, I don't believe that anymore. And I was like, oh, well. I really believe in you, King Littlefinger, for once. Uh, <laughs> for but once. they just have like a really cool out of the box look of like the Danes were likely more involved. Uh, we're about to go into it in just a bit here. They're likely more involved than we know about. Ashara was probably at the tower, which was also confirmed by Game of Thrones, the best TV show on HBO that ever lived. Uh, it's not TV, it's HBO. Sorry. But <laughs> Wait, do, you, do you mean Game of Thrones, the source that George adapted into books? <laughs> Yes, the source material for the series, A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. Um, No, there is a girl with a braid in that. Not just Wyla, there's another girl in that room if you watch very carefully when Lyanna Stark gives birth to Jon Snow. I'm just saying, there's another girl. (laughs) It could be it. D&D or stands, they're Dane stands. Um, And you have all this mythical stuff as the background of the forebear. Like there's a magical sword and a magical guy with the sword that can vanquish knight right and what is knight it's the others um that's what we're already looking at john has a magical sword why doesn't he have dawn already george come on let's get on this um you know and like you're saying with the others they are the other like i was saying earlier the other side of the coin of the high fantasy that's being introduced into the story they are very much doing the same purpose Mm -hmm. um just quietly underground They're B-list, right? I mean, we just talked about the Targaryens, the Martells, the Starks. Those are our A-listers. But Ashara Dane, Arthur, these are the shadows of the rebellion. This is the story that was happening mm-hmm. outside of the whole, like, savior being born in a tower thing. That's true. Uh, before we go into... Okay, so we started with, they are the mythical, amazing, wow, incredible, <laughs> age of, dawn age heroes of legend. Also, maybe they're the House of Azor High. Why not? It would... Sure. Maybe yeah. Dawn's Lightbringer. Okay, sure. That, that kind of cool stuff. I thought it was a good time to pause and we'll do a, l- a few little plugs right here. <laughs> uh, so obviously um, you're on my channel, the U- Joe Magician J- YouTube channel. You can also go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe Magician. Uh, my patrons are following along with the amazingly detailed document that me and Chloe uh, prepared <laughs> as we're going. Um, they have access to that early. You get access to videos early, patron-only episodes. I recently did one with a Shea of History of Westeros talking about uh, why you should watch The Expanse. You should watch The Expanse. It's really good. Um, another one, obviously, with your co-host, Eliana. Where we talked about yes. cripples, bastards, and broken things. That was a really good one. Um, get Sanrixian art, all that other kind of stuff. And also, if you're listening now, 
and you're like, oh, I don't have like three hours to sit down and and just watch a video of Matt and Emmett talking about you're on Greyjoy. You can go to my podcast feed. It's uh, Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. It's the exact same content, just uploaded audio only. So convenient if you're driving or if you're working from home and you need to listen to something but can't have your can't have a full video up, that kind of thing. What about you, Chloe? What's going on with Girls Gone Canon? What are we doing? We are covering Jamie Lannister in A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, we are right now, we just recorded and put up Jamie 6, the big one, right? The uh, I Dreamed of You. So that was fun. Fun episode. We're going to do Jamie 7 in A Storm of Swords next. After that, I can't tell you guys who's next after Jamie because we do point of view to point of view, how we read chapters. And it is a surprise for anyone that is not our patrons. Uh, I've heard whispers of possibly some Animal Crossing content happening from Girls Gone Canon. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Animal Crossing content? Yes. Um, we're not sure if that's going to be a patron only thing or if that's going to be. We'll see. We'll see, but it will be happening probably one way or another. If it's not for everybody, it's at least for me and Eliana. And other than that, we are still covering The Subtle Knife, Philip Pullman's uh, His Dark Materials series, second book. We will be on to Amber Spyglass next. And uh, this month we're covering Once Upon a Time in the North, which is one of the side books by Philip Pullman about Lee Scoresby and Yorick Bernison's uh, kind of roots in the story. It's a fun little side book, and we're going to talk about that for patrons this month. Guys, you should go subscribe to Girls Gone Can. It's really good. <laughs> Especially the episode, um, what was it? John, Game of Thrones, John. Eight. Eight, 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 eight. eight. Oh, what was and, it? What was it? I don't, was what I, I don't know that what chapter that is. I don't know what chapter it was. I've it's only really read it every one. night of my life until I went to bed crying, said Matt. <laughs> that is what I say. It's unfortunate that Chloe just put out an extremely accurate portrayal of what I'm like. I'm crying, <laughs> thinking about Eamon. It's what I do. I wonder. Anyway, that that's obviously that's the one I was on with Girls Gone Canon. So listen to all the rest of them, but make sure you get that one because that one's really yes. awesome. It was really fun. Actually, you and I, you helped me, uh, you and Eliana helped me kind of figure out a theory I had about that rule of three with the tests, if you recall, for Eamon and John and Danny. Yeah. That was a fun episode. I like that episode. Even though we were all tired and you just came back from Ice and Fire Con and it was just like, we're doing this. We're going maximum aim in this one. And we did it, though. We did it. <laughs> we sure did. We rocked the hell out of that really yeah. short chapter. Oof. All right. So let's go back to uh, talking about our favorite star boys, the, the Danes. The Danos. The Danos. <laughs> um, so what, what exactly happened to the Danes? Why are they not the kings of Torrentine anymore? Why are they just sort of medium tier nobles in Dorne and not a force in Westeros? What, what happened there? So Borean Dane lost his crown as King Dane to Nymeria <laughs> when she came down on him through conquest. Uh, he was sent to the wall, deposed as king, and then Nymeria and Morse Martell have a special union. Uh, and they create the ruling line of Dornish monarchs because adoption of equal primogeniture denies the Danes the throne. Uh, the son that Nymeria had, yeah. basically, boop, boop, doesn't work. So denies the Danes the throne. Females get the throne. Targaryens and the Marcher Lords after that from plundering the Reach. So there goes all of your money. Kind of like when Corlys went on his huge trip and came back with like all these goods. I guess That's the Danes what they were just kind of stealing them. Yeah, the Danes were just kind of stealing them. Um, and the Marcher Lords also. 
Twice the Danes are mentioned as assaulting Old Town in the text. Yep. Back then, Joffrey uh, Dane gets defeated by Queen Visenya, actually, during that. So wow. they lost lots of their riches, right? So maybe mm-hmm. just don't be assholes anymore, you guys. Um, but they lost a lot of their riches from kind of, I think, well, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or die, right? And I think they played and they lost. They lost pretty hard. They lost really hard with when Queen Nymeria showed up. I mean, obviously they fought against her. Vorian fought his war loss, was one of the many Dornish kings that was sent to the wall in their golden fetters. I think that's the line for it. Um, after at that point, they're like, okay, well, you know, this sucks, but we'll try and marry into Nymeria's family. We'll get our power that way since she has united Dorne. You see that a lot with Targaryens in the current timeline. Everyone's trying to get a piece of that sweet Targaryen family tree. Unfortunately, Nymeria says, nope, we are, do- <laughs> we are doing female inheritance. Danes get blown up. They're screwed. But it starts a long lasting rivalry with the Martells because they bl- like the Martells. It appears let that through as law. They gave their support to that because specifically it fucked over the Danes and helped them. Yeah. And there are totally effects of that, right? We see that they are mostly sent to court, like Ashar is sent to court in the rebellion era to attend to Elia, but likely because Elia was at that exact time, that was around when she had complications delivering Aegon. So I don't really think that Ashara went there to be like, hi, I'm here to be with the Martells, you know? How's it going? Just Ashara having fun. Just no. hanging out. No, I mean, there, there was a lot going on there, and she was only there for six months, according to the text, for like half a year. So, I mean, they don't even really try so much at court, if that makes sense. Like, they really no. aren't trying to uh, be some big, some big powerhouse anymore. It's just kind of beyond their reach. And the Marcher Lord connection you're bringing up is really interesting because mm-hmm. the Targs ended them plundering in the Reach, but it turns out that that comes against Dorne eventually, right? Because then the Marcher Lords, all the guys kind of out of the Stormlands, uh, start coming south and plundering in the Red Mountains. Whoops. They plunder all over there. So we'll bring that up later when we talk a little more about these current Danes. Um, but from there, the Danes are set as outcasts. They're ancient strangers, Right. Yeah, um, with with the rise of Martells into House Nymeros uh, Martell, um, the focus of Dorne economically, culturally and politically has shifted away from Starfall and away even from the uh, the Iran woods or Iron Woods. I always forget how to say it. It's now the green blood and sun spear. And it, it totally. Like just handicaps the danes they don't have a way in anymore they're separated by desert they're separated by uh like like you just said they're separated even by uh heritage because they are so weird they're these weird not quite venerians they don't really fit in their names they're even their name structures aren't really fitting in with the rest of dorn like it seems like they have more andal names than they do dornish names mm-hmm. and it's also that they're probably known throughout Dorne as kind of warmongers. They, it's unlikely they were only going after the Stormlands and the um, and the Reach in order to amass uh, the wealth they needed. After apparently Starfall is no longer a fertile place, so they're probably stealing from everybody, going to war all the time to take hostages, sell them back, steal stuff, sell it, that kind of thing. So. 
in the past when it's kind of like the Targaryens, when you're powerful, that outsiderness, that strangeness setting you apart can make you almost seem godlike. It can make you seem otherworldly. But when you when you fall out of power, when you're now just another house, now it doesn't make you seem special. Now it makes you the other makes you somebody else they have to deal with. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. They're isolated. And I think that's what made them step down and not try. Uh, as we know in the rebellion, I mean, current Danes, they lost a pretty large amount of their family between 280 to 290 AC. Yeah, that wasn't great. Um, that's that's a huge thing. If you pay attention to how the lordship falls, uh, the dad and mom of House Dane, well, the dad, I would say, mm-hmm. likely was still around at that time in the rebellion. But by 297 AC, if Edric's the lord, that means that the dad, his dad, and his all had to die, right? Like they all had to die in order for him to be the guy. Um, So you lose what, like three, four members of your family, if you count Ashara uh, over a whole decade. And prominent members of your family, people that were at court, your, your, your keys to power gone. Mm -hmm. And all you're left with is not that much, but it's, if you look back this is the end of a whole strategy that Danes apparently had to hitch themselves to Targaryens. And it starts in the weirdest place you'd ever think. Magor the Cruel. Why does Magor the Cruel come up? Because one of the women that was suggested that he marry was Cla- Clarissa, Clarice Dane, Clarice as, Dane. <laughs> as one of his Danes. And it's noted that the reason beyond the um, high attractiveness of the Danes with their elf-like features and all that stuff. The reason that it was suggested to marry the Dane is that the Targaryens were still having problems with the Martells. They could not break their power. What they wanted to do was marry Magor to Clarice and then use her to start a civil war in Dorne, which would eventually knock over Nymeros Martell, which is a fascinating way of the kind of scheming the Danes were probably put, they probably put themselves forward in this idea. This may have been an offer on their part, even trying to ally themselves with something like Magor the Cruel in order to regain what they lost. Well, and there's something interesting because like the next historical marriage is what Maker and Diana. Yeah. Um, and something really interesting with that, that reminds me of Robert with how he married Stannis to the Florence, mm-hmm. giving them an option because if, the reach rose up. If the Tyrells rose up, what would he be able to do? Hey, you are the new Lords of the Reach, Florence. Um, it's very smart, right? It's like having your heir, but also a little bit of a spare in case you got to quell some rebellions. Mm. So Magor, obviously, totally not the correct political play here no, to think about, right? Bad. Like Magor had some problems, maybe a few. Um, kind of the cruel but it makes me wonder if that's why Maker looks at marrying Diana Dane, right? If that, you know, if the Martells did rise up, if something happened, especially with the uh, the climate around that time, mm. they'd have a backup. And it's really interesting that this is the plan that was proposed to Magor. No, Magor, do not do what Aegon did and go down there on Balerion and just burn them out. We have a political solution, a, a Crusader Kings 2 solution to try and break up Dorne. We will push the weak claims of the of the um, of the Danes and we will use that to over, 
overthrow the Martells. It's a wild strategy to even try and give that to Magor, but it, it really does show almost kind of how desperate they've gotten at this point, that they will consider um, a civil war against ostensibly their own kinsmen in the, mm-hmm. in the Martells and the rest of Dorne. They will subject them to Magor the Cruel to get back what was lost. And that kind of says quite a bit about how far they have fallen. But then, uh, then we go to the actual Targaryen-Dane marriage, and that is Diana Dane and Makar Targaryen. Um, now, this one is interesting because when it happened, Makar was nowhere near the throne. This is kind of a throwaway marriage, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, they call Aegon the unlikely because I think he was like 12th in line when he was born, and then literally everyone else from the spring sickness to war died in front of him until you know obviously my bay mr Naaman <laughs> gave up the throne for him but it it really it shows this kind of weird interest and this attraction between the danes and the targaryens that continues to the current day and this is when it kind of merged it's also interesting to note that because of that marriage between makar and diana all of our favorite characters in the targaryen dynasty danes mm-hmm. Danes by yeah. blood. You have Egg, you have Aemon, you have Danny, you have Rhaegar, Ares, Rhaella. These are all relatively recent Targaryen, I mean, uh, Dane cousins, which is super interesting. And when you point this out, it really is kind of apparent. Like, there are no prominent, since Numeria, there are really no prominent Martel Dane marriages that are written in the mm-hmm. text at all. Um, they marry, intermarry more into the Targaryens. So it makes you wonder where those loyalties lie, right? Like, especially when you get Rhaegar and Arthur growing up together, being best friends. Um, it, to me, it just is interesting. Like, when Ashara is sent to court to tend to Elia, what what was the reason? Was it to get more power with the Targaryens? Probably, especially when we know that, well, speculative, but Rhaegar was planning to do something about his dad finally. Could also be a um, almost a Renly Marjorie situation. Maybe yes. they were tired of Rhaella. Maybe they wanted to yeah. replace her as Ares's wife and mm. then get the Danes on the throne that way. Because Ashar is beautiful and charming and lovely. She looks Valyrian, and that's actually something Ares was looking for for Rhaegar's bride. He settled with Elia Martell, but his initial choice was he wanted to get somebody from Essos. He wanted Rhaegar to marry the blood of old Valyria. And when that wasn't available, maybe the Danes are the closest thing to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be a terrible <laughs> marriage. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm very glad that would, that didn't happen. Would it be? Well, you, no, it's not. We're not making a, a name for it. No, we're not doing it. Okay, we're fine. not giving them All a celebrity right, couple name. It's not happening, man. It's out it's of not. here. <laughs> Get it out of here. Red it's, flag. It's done. But this was also um, spawned a million, million theories about the connections between the Targaryens and the Danes. Like, there's theories that, oh, it's the Dane blood that allowed the dragons to come back and make them hatch. It's like, okay, well, obviously it didn't work for Egg and Ares. Why did it work for Danny? It's probably not that. But the magical mixing of blood is definitely a, an idea that George likes playing up and his readers are latching onto and making a, ter- a million terrible bad theories about it. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about those theories definitely towards the end of this episode, because I think we can find a common ground with we, your bad theories. <laughs> I love my bad theories. Um, I know you do. But I, let's let's talk about maybe the biggest relationship, the 
between the Targaryens and the Danes, and that's in the current times. Well, sort of. We have Rhaegar Targaryen and his second or third cousin, Arthur Dane. Rhaegar is extraordinarily closed off as a person. He does not have a lot of friends. He does not have a lot of close friends, and he barely tells anybody what he's thinking. Like even people like John Connington and Barristan, who spent tons of time with Rhaegar, really have no idea that he was this far into the world of magic and prophecy and the idea that the apocalypse was coming. But his best friend is Arthur Dane. So you have to wonder. Is this information that he trusted with Arthur? And is it, is it specifically because the Danes come from this kind of background, the high fantasy background we were talking about with going back to the Donna days? Maybe they have secret histories that nobody knows about. Maybe they have records of the last long night. It's it's something. And we have a quote here from uh, Barristan where he says, even Rhaegar, the prince of Dragonstone, had never trusted him as he had trusted Arthur Dane. Aaron Hall was proof of that. Now, what we know that Arthur did at Harrenhal, basically the only thing he did is he lost to Rhaegar in the joust. That's that's kind of it. Yeah, well, and but as we see, like pre-planning that an attorney, I mean, look at what Gregor and Loris, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Another little uh, Loris slash uh, Tyrell bit coming in here that not only that, I think that that shows like Barristan is on the King's Guard, Arthur's on the King's Guard, but yet the Crown Prince is sharing details with this King's Guard member and not the rest. And the King's Guard members, obviously, we learn, um, are attending Radar, not Ares in the end, right? Well, they split. Exactly. The last three. Yeah. And um, the other quote we have here, we have uh, Miles Mouton was Prince Rhaegar's squire and Richard Lawnmouth after him. When they won their spurs, he knighted them himself and they remained his close companions. Young John Connington was dear to the prince as well, but his oldest friend was Arthur Dane. So I think this tells us that if Arthur and Rhaegar are best friends, his oldest friends, right? And we know that Rhaegar was a, um, a bookish nerd spending all of his time in the library when he was young. I think we can probably, and since Arthur's the sort of the morning, the best fighter, we can probably trace their friendship back to those scrolls. That's probably mm-hmm. what bound them together. It looks, it, it, it appears that Rhaegar turned to Arthur with this information, like he does with Aemon. He turns to family. Exactly. He turns to his blood. And he becomes a peerless warrior. He becomes a lot better. Well, obvi- that also means Arthur was already at court, basically. Yeah. And, well, and Arthur is supposed to be young, right? Like, mm-hmm. before Jamie, Arthur was the young Kingsguard guy, right? That had been, like, when he was knighted as a Kingsguard member, I mean, he was the youngest before. So, he, you know, he, they had to have grown up together. They had to be at court together. And seeing a montage where Arthur trains Rhaegar on how to be a knight, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is how you do it, Rhaegar. This is how you're going to use your sword. But it's more than that. I want to bring it back to what you said about Aemon, because the only two people that Rhaegar trusts, like, implicitly that we know, are Aemon and Arthur. So it's very strong because he talked to Eamon more and more and more than likely, 100%, 120% likely about these scrolls. Yes. I mean, we know it. So those are the two people he talked to about his scrolls. And with all the mystery that surrounds everything for uh, House Dane, I think it's apparent Arthur had to be in on that. Had to be. 100%. Had to be. I mean, it, it, it all just fits together so nicely. It's exactly like how you would write it if you wanted to disguise it. Well, Rhaegar became a really good warrior at this po- after he discovered these scrolls, and all of a sudden his best friend is the best warrior in the kingdom. Okay, 
Got it. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. Arthur is read into the idea of the prince that was promised that Rhaegar is trying to rehatch dragons or bring about the, the, or he thinks the others are coming, which also makes sense when you hear um, Arthur's last words where he says about, I wish you good, good fortune in the wars to come. Well, Arthur probably knows the wars that are about to come and it's not, um, not these, not the rebellion. Not We're not the, talking not about the, the rebellion. Kings. He's talking about the return of the war for the dawn, most likely. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel like Rhaegar is finally the Targaryen to get these goddamn scrolls right. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, he's the first one that's read them and been like, Amen, Arthur, does this mean what I think it means? Perfect, I must- Rhaegar. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's his voice. Um, and then he like puts his little skinny chest all out like, I must be the prince that was promised. Uh, but all of them keep going through time, acting on some sort of prophecy. And yet here's Rhaegar, who is uh, finally kind of assembling the right people that could possibly deal with that prophecy. Mm-hmm. And when we look at when um, Arthur would have had to join the Kingsguard, it's likely it would have been probably during Jaehaerys' the second reign. Um, there was a a really good comment about this on Reddit. Um, I lost the link, unfortunately, but they make the point that after Summerhall, the Targaryen family is super depleted. So many of them have died, and you basically all you have left is Ares, Rhaella, Jaehaerys, and baby Rhaegar. So it makes sense that Jaehaerys II may have tapped his family, his extended family in the Danes, especially knowing that Jaehaerys is also very much interested in the higher mysteries to, to bring them to court and restart the relationship between the Danes and the Targaryens. I think that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, we hear about the Martells going on their victory tour to marry Elia off to someone. Right. Uh, and we get that whole monologue of first they started and they went to the Danes first. And we actually hear that they went to Starfall. I want to say that was 280, Maybe it was 274. I'd have to look at my notes, but uh, they did a a tour de France, basically went to Starfall. We're all like, hmm, should we marry our kids to you? And then moved on. They went to Hightower after Mm -hmm. that, yada, yada. Um, But they I'm sure they held out. I'm sure both sides held out. If you look at how uh, how Martell's kind of operate, you know, making sure before they make their move. But they were holding out for Rhaegar, obviously, and the Danes probably also holding out. It is kind of weird that Rhaegar did not marry Ashara. It seems like that's the relationship that should have happened, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the age difference is still weird, but I'm obviously Rhaegar doesn't have a problem marrying women much younger than him, apparently. That's how it goes with him. Um, he's best friends with Arthur. They're trying to restart the connections between the Danes and the Targaryens. It, it's a real question why Ashara, not Elia. I mean, why Elia, not Ashara, got that marriage. Well, and I'm sure that is because Ares wanted to cement the realm. Uh, And I'm sure that the Martells aren't going to look down on a little extra power, which we learned went not really well, obviously. Um, There's a little more in that theory from King Littlefinger about the Hall conspiracies, about the way that the tourney in general is framed as this big political experience for all of this. Uh, And obviously it happens after the marriages have already happened, but looking at the marriages for like Elia and Rhaegar and looking between it and how it happened and then looking at Harrenhal and how it's set up. I mean, the tourney at Harrenhal completely plays like a huge political thing, more than the tourney of the hand ever was. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's a really weird situation. Um, I believe in the text it's mentioned that it was supposed to be a great council, but then Ares showed up and crashed the party. Yeah. Um, 
when you, and then you look at who is guarding the Tower of Joy, which we'll get to obviously in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Gerald Hightower. You have Oswell Went. Who somebody here has added something to our notes that they want to say Kettle Black. Who said that? Oswell Kettle Black. What? What is this? Some crazy theory about the Wentz? Mm. <laughs> in the words of Littlefinger, look closer. Yes. And then, of course, Arthur Dane. So if you're if you're thinking about that in terms of who's Rhaegar's supporters at this would be, well, he has the support of the High Towers and the Faith of the Seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he also has the support of the Danes, which means he has Dorne. Also has the support of the Wentz, which means maybe you usurp usurping the Tullys, bringing back Hall in terms of power. Maybe that was the price the Wentz put on it, because they put out a massive amount of money for this tournament. If you're investing in the Prince, you're probably looking to get something out of it, you know? But wasn't it uh, bankrolled by an anonymous person, though, also? That too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. From, uh, I think the World Book tells us that it was bankrolled by an anonymous person, and I think it's been super speculated it was Tywin. That Tywin was a uh, half throwing in his bet, obviously with Rhaegar, but then he waited to play it out. But it is not too long after 276 with Duskendale or 277, whichever it was. That's true. And um, at that point, Cersei's unmarried and she's obsessed with Rhaegar. Maybe um, Tywin said, all right, you know, I hate Ares. Rhaegar's the better king. Okay. And then, but then the um, the really interesting thing that happens at the tourney of Harrenhal is actually Ashara. She's probably one of the headlines of what's going on at the tourney of Harrenhal. Chloe, why don't you tell us all about Ashara? At yes, uh, in the tourney, she is seen through uh, a nice little one of my favorite chapters, actually, Storm of Swords, brand two. Uh, she's seen dancing in this story that Mira Reed tells uh, with Arthur Dane, Oberyn, John Connington, and Eddard. And to be fair, uh, it's a white sword. The language is referring to sigils, right? It's mm-hmm. the maid with the laughing eyes dancing with a white sword, a red snake, the lord of the griffins, and lastly, with the quiet wolf. And King Littlefinger puts forth this theory in the Heron Hall conspiracies that every person Ashara is dancing with, not counting Ned, obviously, because that was purely out of, you know, like pubescent love and lust for Ned yeah. uh, to get in there. That like, oh, my son. He's like, my nerd dreams are coming true. Um, oh my God, my magic pixie dream girl, Ashara. <laughs> that is actually what she's written as. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but the idea that Ashara is dancing with each of these separate factions to see like, hey, you in on this, you in on supporting Rhaegar, let's chat, let's dance. Her dancing with Oberyn, her dancing with Jon Con, basically dancing with all these guys and trying to chit chat with them. It's it certainly would be um, a subtle way of trying to figure it out, because as we've seen, um, at least in the Dunkin Egg novellas, these kind of turny intrigues, you really they really try hard to disguise them and they try to make um, make sure that the spy master isn't figuring out. Because as we know, Varys mm-hmm. uh, showed up with Ares. So Ares shows up with Varys. God, that, that is also a tongue twister. At that point, you have to step extra quick to make sure you're not getting caught. And I am sure it wasn't just Howlin watching the the maid with the laughing purple eyes. I'm sure Ares's loyalists were watching everything that Rhaegar's friends were doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, 
I mean, Aries already automatically gets support, right? He gets it automatically from the different houses that are sworn to him. But having like Heron Hall support him, having Tywin maybe whispering in Rhaegar's ear, those are really powerful alliances that Aries has barely been holding on to. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's the Tywin relationship is over. A lot of his lords are already saying like, "Boy, we really don't want Aries as king anymore." Rhaegar seems great. Um, it's interesting the that she danced with the Red Snake. So she danced with Oberyn. Mm-hmm. So the Danes, who historically have a rivalry with the Martells, are trying to find some. If this is true. They're negotiating even with the Martells. That's how serious this has gotten, that they are putting aside their blood feud. And that does say something like they're not just and I think the family has likely been saying obviously changed from what they were 100 to 200 years ago, even um, especially with Aries's reign kind of coming down and being so tyrannical in the end. I'm sure they see this and I'm sure they know it. And I'm sure that it's in everybody's best interest to get Elia and her children out of there. Yes. That may have been the price. Cause we, as we know, Lewin Martell was also a member of the Kingsguard. Mm-hmm. So another little subtle competition between the Martells and the Danes and the Targaryen court. Also, I just want to point out here, Barristan, like knock it off, bro. <sighs> yeah. You know, so that white sword could have been Barristan that dance with her, but also I'm glad with it being Arthur. I'm fine with that. And also like, it's just like a friendly reminder that Barristan was 45 and Ashara was like a teenager at this time. Oh my God. I can't believe you dance with this guy and he's not me. (laughs) Get over it. Barristan. Knock Uh, it off. Stop hitting on the young, um, future. Yeah. Let her live on a rock. Let her live. (laughs) Nobody, nobody can let Ashara live. Um, And then it's also really interesting thinking about in terms of the families that are supporting Rhaegar and Arthur, and then what were their motivations were when they ended up at the Tower of Joy. So we know a lot about um, characters like Gerald Hightower, where he's the sort of guy that stands outside Aerys' bedchambers and listens to him assaulting his wife, Rhaella, and he says, hey man, you're a Kingsguard. You have to protect, you're sworn to protect uh, him. But not and her, but not from him. That kind of thing, where he's like, uh, "Your your duty comes above all else." So, mm-hmm. how do you get that guy, the guy that is willing to listen to sexual assault and be like, "This is normal," to turn on Ares and follow you and follow you to Dorne to guard your second wife? Which, by the way, is a huge problem with the Faith of the Seven. Like the idea of a Targaryen having two wives, they're not going to be psyched about that. They have started wars over that before. Yeah. Not okay. Um, the Wentz seem to just be kind of trying to push the Heron Hall Riverlander thing. Okay, that happens all the time. The Wentz are like, I am just hoping to hang on to this castle for a few more years and break the last record, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone loses Heron Hall eventually, and so do the Wentz. Bummer. Um, during the yeah. War of the Five Kings, they end up losing. But the Arthur connection, I think, is by far the most interesting because there is politics there. But as we as we were talking about, I don't even think the Danes are in this to marry Rhaegar or even to usurp the Martells, because if they're negotiating with the Martells, mm-hmm. then they're not splitting it. So that exactly. tells you why Arthur and why Shara are there is probably the magical, prophetic, higher fantasy reasons and loyalty to Rhaegar in particular. 
Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a great point because uh, Shara has like, other than this romance, we hear of her dancing with these men. There are no big marriage prospects that are put forth for her, right? Like she's not off being betrothed. Maybe that was her role in going to court was to find that, but she is, and this is obviously also considering that Edric Dane is born, yes. you know, in the next uh, little bit of time, he's born what in 287, 288, something around there. And so obviously he becomes the heir to the eldest Dane brother, who is mm-hmm. a silent figure, a nameless figure in all this that we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but he, that's, that's the future. The Danes aren't concerned with Ashara pumping out some babies. They're not concerned with Illyria, who's later born, pumping out babies. Uh, there's no political movement here. That's no, what I find interesting. There's no, yeah, they don't, it's like they're not trying though. It's, uh, I mean, Ned wakes up one day and accidentally steps wrong and his daughter has to marry a prince, but like the Danes aren't trying. They're not scheming, which is mm-hmm. weird because Everything about them says they should, which I, I think, again, points to the fact that um, the dawn of days, the the holders of dawn itself are thinking much longer term than just themselves. I mean, even Arthur Dane, there's nothing that says the sword of the morning has to be a king's guard. Mm-hmm. Previous swords of the mornings have married Nymeria. Previous ones have been kings. Arthur, they throw away Arthur as mm-hmm. a potential marriage pact. They throw away their most um, their most impressive son to the Kingsguard. Nobody does that. Imagine Brandon Stark. You go to him and you say, listen, Brandon, I know you're the wild wolf. I know you like screwing around. I know you like um, your weird scheme and stuff, but join the Kingsguard. And he, he would fla- he would laugh in your face. Arthur Dane does, though. He joins yeah. the Kingsguard because... The Danes, I think, are more about duty and service, which is probably why they got along along with Ned. Yeah, I think it, it, and I know you're you've brought up kind of the idea of like, who were they loyal to? We don't know. But I think they were more concerned with the overarching picture and the common good. And I mean, they already had their heir. Right. And mm-hmm. technically, you have the heir. Then you have the spare. Arthur's a spare here. Joining the Kingsguard is a super honorable thing, especially for houses with old, strong blood, which the Danes do have. They might not be as uh, sparkling in front page as a lot of these houses are. They might not be the Lannisters. They might not be, you know, wardens of anything of the South or anything, but they still have very strong, uh, old, ancient blood. And the fact that they keep loyal to sending their you know, star jock son with a trophy, all the trophies on the wall out there and say, Hey, you're, you're fine. You go be a Kingsguard. (laughs) That is saying something that is important to say, like, they're not looking for that. They're looking to do something more in this story than just get to the top. Yeah. They are not Tywin Lannister. There there's (laughs) very different goals for Starfall. And then of course we get to the pinnacle of the, uh, the drama with the Danes and the Targaryen, the Danes and the Targaryens in the story so far, we get the tower of joy where Ned shows up with his it's seven against three. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Arthur Dane. It's Gerald Hightower. It's Oswald went against Ned and his boys. And before we get to like the actual fight and all the weird cryptic things, Arthur says, how did Ned find the tower of joy? Chloe, how did he do it? He must've just gotten really lucky. Really, really lucky. lucky. He found that yeah. one guard post in the Red Mountains that nobody else could apparently find. Yeah, apparently. Since no one in the story knows much about the Red Mountains except for like Ned, Howland, and Mira suddenly. Um, wait, wait. We know somebody from the Red Mountains, don't we? 
Hmm. Hmm. Was it was it Ashara? Harvey? Is that oh, what yeah, you want to know? Yeah. You a- think it could be Ashara Dane that told that? Yeah, I think that's a given. I think uh, the fact that there's so much back and forth of like Ned took this mysterious woman with him, the 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 fisherman's uh was it daughter or wife? I don't know why I never daughter, remember. I think daughter. It's probably because of Dornishman's wife. You know, I always yes. just like sing it in my head, and then I don't know. But I've tasted the fisherman's daughter. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the fish. <laughs> Anyways, the fisherman's daughter, like oh that story cropping up in dance just very vaguely and quietly and like, oh, could it be Ashara? A lot of people think it could be Ashara that Ned like went off with. But I have this vision in my head totally of like Ashara and Ned docking at the sisters and like her with a hood over her head, like trying to raise people for the rebellion or do things to go like on a mm. covert mission to get liana even it's not out of the picture like i added in my timeline of think could this be ashara it could be it doesn't have to mean more than that but i definitely think she had to have told him somehow because george has said in a couple different times in interviews ashara wasn't bolted down during the rebellion he's gonna reveal that yeah that she was not bolted down and all will be revealed eventually quote unquote (laughs) i'm suffering please george please Uh, george give us please Uh, the thing I find really interesting, so Ashara probably led Ned there, but doesn't that work against them? Like, Arthur's there guarding Liana. Ashara is showing Ned to the Tower of Joy, which means she's setting up her brother and maybe her her lover to die? Like, what's going on here? It, or does this again go back to the idea of prophecy and magic that maybe they were just sort of following some kind of like prophetic script? where Ashara knew she had to bring them down there or she had problem. Maybe she had problems with Arthur. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's weird that the, the Danes who previously seem totally in line in this one circumstance completely clash with each other. Well, the weirder thing about that too is like, uh, I guess it's that self-sacrifice theme, right? Like that self-sacrifice and true love are the most magical things in the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of storytelling. Um, I'm sure there's something like that about it, but it does beg that she knew there would be a showdown. Like there's something we've all been analyzing about this damn scene in Fever Dream for so long because the Fever Dream's not exact, right? Like no. we know that Ned is totally drugged out and like he's dreaming like, oh, and then there's a ghost and the ghost did this and it kind of looked like Arthur Dane with bigger biceps. No, I'm just kidding. But we always know there's a missing ingredient, right? Like something is missing from the knowledge of this it. scene. We are just yeah. missing like two sentences that would probably explain the whole thing. But it makes me feel like it was predetermined. Um, and I think there's a lot of strong theme work in that with a lot of very, very silly theories <laughs> we've heard about before. Very yeah. silly. Uh, I know you might have been a proponent of these silly theories before. I love silly, silly Dane theories are my favorite. <laughs> I write them all the time. Well, I used to. <laughs> so tell me, tell me mm-hmm. about uh, this theory about Corin and Arthur. Oh, boy. So... <sighs> I know it very well, but I just want you to tell me because I like it when you tell me stuff. Okay. Well, I'll do this for you, Chloe. <laughs> um, oh, hang on. We had a uh, we have a super chat showing up. Uh, user, let's see here, three eyed monkey. Um, and let me, I can't. Why can't I see all of it? Okay, there we go. Uh, super chat for oh, it's in pounds. Excellent. Are you familiar with the theory? Ad 
had no impact on the plot because his purpose in the story is to symbolically explain the main theme of a song of ice and fire. So talking about Arthur Dane, um, it could be, I mean, that's what we were talking about. That's like the whole introduction to this, to the stream. We're talking that they are in a way symbolically and, um, legendarily, um, adding kind of backstory to this. They are draping it in decoration of high fantasy. And that's very, that could be true. Why it seems like, uh, we'll never know what happened to Arthur because everyone knows Arthur's now dead basically, except for Jamie. Um, it could just be that, but it also definitely seems like George has plans for, like you were saying, at least revealing a Shara's role. And if you reveal Shara's role, then you're probably revealing Arthur's too, I would say. Yeah. And you've written about a, a lot of awesome five-year gap stuff right before. I'm, I'm always impressed about that. But the five-year gap being removed, obviously, is our biggest issue here, right? Uh, there's It's harder to do a Dane reveal when you don't really have any living Danes that are old enough to do crap, right? <laughs> like, Other than Darkstar and Edric. And we know yeah. Edric knows the wrong story. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, there's some sort of weird confusion there. And so there's this big idea that people had. Big tinfoil theory. Oh, yeah. That Wait, I got this. I got this one. You got this. Are you, I thought you were going to tell me, but I was going to do it for you. I'm sorry. I got interrupted by the super chat. Shit happens. <laughs> uh, so the main problem with the story that Ned tells and everything that goes on at the Tower of Joy is Edric, otherwise known as Ned Dan. So you go to the Tower of Joy. The story is that Ned kills Arthur, takes Dawn, and then goes to Starfall. Then... He does something to a Shardane, and according to the official story, she jumps out of a tower and dies on the rocks. Dan All Ned has done is essentially say, I killed your favorite son. Your favorite daughter's now dead because of me, but I gave you a sword. And the Danes are like, you know what? I like you, Ned Stark. You're a, you're a good dude. And then they name and nickname. Well, they almost name, but they nickname the heir to the house after Ned Stark. So the problem there is, well, there's a mismatch in terms of action and reaction. So, so obviously some of the actions we know were different or didn't happen. And one, um, you've obviously gone on immensely about Hashara and how Hashara is the one that did not die. But the other one is possible too, that uh, Arthur Dane did not die in the Tower of Joy that he survived and was like living almost as like an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure out in the desert in some uh, some cave somewhere. And the theory is because Mance, Mance Raider, this is these are actually usually two link theories. Mance Raider is so similar in terms of his characterization to Rhaegar and is one of his best friends is Corrin Halfhand. People have wondered, well, if Mance is Rhaegar, maybe Corn is actually Arthur, and they join the Night's Watch together in secret. Go. <laughs> yes. So I I can't make fun of you for this because I was an Arthur truther for a while. Mm -hmm. On top of being a Hashara truther, uh, I've decided that over time it's molded into like, no, it's not possible. But and yes, it's silly. We talked a lot about this on Girls Gone Canon, but it's not that silly when you look at it only for its thematics. Yes. Dawn and Corrin Halfhand arrived together. The black stones had turned to gray and the eastern sky had gone indigo when stone snakes spied the rangers below wending their way upward. Um, so, yes, the thematic resonance that's really strong there. 
if you look at the idea of John having to kill Corin Halfhand, who has said many mm. things before to him, like, and let's look back for a second uh, in Clash of Kings, John 5. Why does Corin sound so grave after such a victory? Compare that with uh, Jamie's fever dream in A Storm of Swords 6. We all swore oh, we all swore oaths, said Sir Arthur Dane so sadly. And flashback to John 5, Corin once more. We can only die. Why else do we don these black cloaks but to die in defense of the realm? Mm-hmm. And up in A Storm of Swords, John 5. Fight with them, Corin had said before he surrendered his own life to Longclaw, but it had not come to that till now. Once I shed a brother's blood, I am lost. I crossed the wall for good then, and there's no crossing back. Um, Arthur Dane is the Corin halfhand in the way that Ned is to Arthur and John is to Corin. Corin is John's Arthur Dane. Mm-hmm. Look at Eddard's fever dream in Ned 10. Their faces burn clear. Even now, Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning, had a sad smile on his lips. And then again in Brand 3, A Clash of Kings. The finest knight I ever saw was Arthur Dane, who fought with a blade called Dawn, forged from the heart of a fallen star. They called him the sword of the morning, and he would have killed me but for Howland Reed. Um, So we don't know what happened, but something happened Mm -hmm. to where I think it was probably known, like you said, that Arthur might not make it out of this. Um, and uh, If they are regarding John as their future king, right? Mm. If Rhaegar knows I'm not going to make it out of this, something about the prophecy, something, something, ghost of high heart, because very <laughs> obviously <laughs> that says the something, thing. something, ghost of high heart, you something, something, ghost of high heart. Uh, Rhaegar obviously rode through the Riverlands with Lyanna, with Arthur, with that yes. band of merry men, right? Uh, they more than likely would have stopped and checked out and uh, probably he would have sang that song that he 110% wrote Jenny's song for <laughs> yes. her. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, and Arthur died for John, for Liana's baby, for keeping the secret. So something happened in there that made it okay for Howland and Ned to have, uh, you know, let Arthur die. He likely died the same way as Corin, knowing he had to do anything and everything for his cause. That's true. And there's a really good comment uh, here in the chat. Uh, Laura7ann says, or the prophecy stated that in order for John to be born under a bleeding star, Arthur had to die. And he knew that they've been sharing ideas about the prophecy since kids. He's sad because he knows his fate. And that's also Hmm. much what's implied with Rhaegar, his melancholy, his sadness. It's implied that he knows that he will not be Azor Ahai himself. He will not be the prince that was promised. The dragon needs three heads. That doesn't mean him. He's, he's obviously talking about his kids. He knows that he will be dying and the next generation will. It actually, Eamon says this outright where he says that basically um, Rhaegar initially thought it was him and he got convinced and said it would be his children. So much the same, Arthur and Rhaegar are not thinking about just this generation themselves. They are thinking the next one when the others will come back, probably. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that, Matt, and I'm trying to find something for you, but there's a certain quote that I want to bring up right now that really reminds me of what you just said. (laughs) If you recall, there are certain children that are currently the guardians to another prince. Oh, a certain prince. And one of them knows that he's doomed to die. Is this like um, some sort of alligator person? Yes, it's a lizard person. It's a lizard um, person. Yeah, this is it's a, it's a very strong parallel. This is like I like to bring up often that 
uh, Arthur and Ashara and Mira knowing that Jojen's going to die protecting Bran. It's not the very first time mm-hmm. someone would go off to protect a prince and die. Yeah, and Jojen seems exactly right on the money with his uh, prophetic visions. I mean, people have wondered for a while if Rhaegar had them. Um, dragon dreams, that sort of thing. It's a thing in his family. Um, could be the same idea behind Jojen, where obviously he teaches Bran how to use his powers. He has them too. Um, the idea of these sort of magical people giving themselves up for service for the greater goal is like you said, very much in line thematically with what these magical um, figures tend to do. Mm-hmm. Even Blood Raven, like he has basically given up his life in service of the greater goal, being essentially becoming a tree at this point. A very good tree. Yeah. <laughs> Jojen paste. Oh, okay. So if we're talking about Jojen paste, is there Arthur paste? No. I'm not going to respond to that or dignify it with a response. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that. Apparently that is a step too far. Cannibalism of the Danes. Cannibalism of the Danes. Leave them alone. <laughs> Leave the sad boys alone. But um, yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, the idea that the Danes have higher purpose, that they see the world differently, perfectly lines up with their characterization, their history, their interactions with the guy who believes this the most in the current story in Rhaegar. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess that's a good time to talk about it that uh, obviously you've made some jokes about it already. And a lot of people in the chat know, but I am a huge, huge believer. The one thing, the one thing that I'm like, I'm betting my lifeblood on it. If it's not true, it's over for me. I'm throwing myself out of the marble towers at Starfall. Like I am going to be in the summer sea dead if this is not true. But I have a huge much Howland, like much like that, that was the point. Good job, Matt. <laughs> I am a huge Howland and Ashara truther. And it used to be silly. Like it started off and I was like, ooh, Arthur's still alive. Ashara's still alive. But It all kind of lines up like eerily well, especially if you chase the timeline of uh, where Howland was, where Ashara was in the rebellion. And the idea that like House Dane, even like supporting Rhaegar during all this and even supporting possibly helping Ned, that's like a treasonous offense, Mm, right? Very much. And so, yes, Arthur's Kingsguard, I mean, Robert obviously is forgiving. He lets people, you know, get on their knees and apologize. And he's like, here's my hand. Let's get drunk. (laughs) Um, Isn't that what happened? Like with Grandison and all of them. Same thing. Same thing. Here, here's some beer. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, he probably would have taken Arthur. But Arthur supporting Rhaegar in this huge rebellion, the house Dane obviously has some sort of role in of like supporting against the father against Ares, and then like the Danes also being like, Hey, the Starks are good guys. And obviously they're kind of involved in this because Liana's pregnant. Uh, mm. <laughs> so we obviously have to support them too. Uh, if Rhaegar loses and Robert gets on the throne, what happens to house Dane? Yeah, that's kind of a problem. That's a, that's a big problem. Like we were saying how their plotting seems to be going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And I really do think that, uh, 
that gives kind of an opportunity for us to play around with Howland. So the show did it straight and dry, stab in the back, whatever. Howland used guerrilla warfare and just got him, got in there and just stab, stab. Uh, guerrilla warfare, which is funny because the Dornish and the Cranogs have a lot of text about them using similar war tactics. Yes, very much and so. having very similar bodies and styles. Uh, I digress. But there are so many... <laughs> There are just so many things that point to it. Um, there's totally space for Howland to have been able to, you know, I don't know, maybe negotiate, maybe do a quick high five. Mm-hmm. Something had to have happened. And to have everyone's like, well, that's weird. Why would she marry her brother's killer? Um, not giving her kind of a marriage with Howland is actually really great to start a new life. There's a lot of different things as far as etymology, like Gianna Reed being casually John and Liana Reed in one name. Mm-hmm. Weird. <laughs> Weird, Weird. How that happens. Yeah, just scrolling past that must be a coincidence. Uh, I know that everyone's like, not everyone has to be someone. And no, they don't. But they are like in every page <laughs> of this story. Uh, there's obvious hidden identities, right? There's Alaris. OK, we know it's Sorella. There's Arston Whitebeard being Barristan. There's Sandor as the Gravedigger. There's Gregor being Sir Robert Strong. <clears throat> Uh, How strong? Settle down. Settle down, Matt. There's strong. (laughs) There's a next level stuff of like uh, kind of medium secret identities, right? Not hard, but Peyton the Alchemist or Young Griff as Agen or Blood Raven as Maynard Plum, if you want to go back to Duncan Egg. Mm -hmm. And then there are even some hints like we talked about possibly the Kettle Blacks. Uh, Do a little research, but if you read Jamie's chapters with the Kettle Blacks there, at court and then you read like Sansa's chapters going to the veil with Littlefinger mm-hmm. makes you think there's something at play there something makes you think on. something doesn't doesn't hurt that Sansa's related to the Wentz right doesn't hurt yeah she they don't, they don't call her a bat or anything just because yeah, right? she's half or part went through um, yeah quarter Minissa whatever yeah and then let's look at the rebellion characters that are emerging um Lem Lemon Cloak weird i'm sorry that one is like 150 percent. it has to be richard lamith it is him so what is so confusing about the idea that maybe there are these people that were on the wrong side of the rebellion who refuse to support the current regime after what happened and are in hiding i mean there are we just read about them right and what makes them like us think that they're probably hard to believe is one thing but is this because George wants us to think this way? Are we seeing what he wants us to see? Mm-hmm. So if Ashara being alive is not that far fetched, especially when in a pretty much canon source on the app, George has said her body was never found. <gasps> Who's the app made by? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Ar- yeah. OG Dan, Dane Stan. <laughs> he would never lie to me about this guys. No, God, God, no one would. Um, if they are Geodonian, right, with a little bit of that high tower lineage, the Danes, it sets a stage for a lot of interesting historical parallels, uh, like what we've talked about, right? The Kranigmans having strange hued eyes, mm-hmm. and the First Men and the Great Empire of the Dawn having the strange hued eyes. Uh, we get the idea of eyes in general very strongly in Jojen's plot. We learn he had gray water fever and that he has very mossy, strange green eyes. We don't hear about Mira's eyes. But that's interesting to me. I thought that was interesting. And then we get something with a look of perspective on Ashara's eyes in the story. Ashara is described as having haunting violet eyes by approximately, oh, I want to say it's what, four of the mentions out of nine. Mm -hmm. 
nine or 10 mentions of her in the entire series straight from the books by name. There are like four mentions of her having haunting eyes, but there's only one mention of her having laughing eyes. And that was during Mira's story about the girl that she was at court. Every single person that mentions Ashara's eye color and her having haunting eyes feels guilt about her. Barristan, Cersei, Catelyn. Every single one of them is guilty about Ashara, right? Um, I thought that was just something really interesting that they are the only people that describe it that way. And then we kind of have touched on Barristan very jokingly, uh, but he does think... Yeah, quarter joke. I said what I said. Uh, (laughs) In A Dance with Dragons in the Discarded Night, Barristan has this thought process about Quentin and Daenerys and Hisdar. He says, like all good queens, she put her people first, else she would never have wed Hisdar Zolorak. But the girl in her still yearned for poetry, passion, and laughter. She wants fire, and Dorne sent her mud. You can make a poultice out of mud to cool a fever. You can plant seeds in mud and grow a crop to feed your children. Mud would nourish you where fire would only consume you. But fools and children and young girls would choose fire every time. A big generalization on every single girl in the world, apparently. (laughs) But okay, he knows a lot of them. Um, But like, Barristan thinks that about Daenerys. We all know that's a very simple view of what Daenerys is going through, right? Like she has Dorne on her door, like let's make an alliance that could make or break you taking the throne ever. And then she has Marine on her other side going, Hey, you have to uh, do your job here, lady. So how about you marry our guy? Um, God, I mean, I'm sure Daenerys would love mud, man. She'd love to just lay down and have a nap. She's busy. She's out there. But he thinking this way kind of parallels and lines up with how he might think about Ashara, which when you look at Howland, Howland is mud, literally. Yeah. Mud, That's literally mud. Mudman, mud yes. Um, those Manson, Rhaegar, Corrin, Arthur parallels are obviously very strong, deliberately sacrificing someone so that you can have a second life, which, okay, reborn, Dane, falling star, boom, yep. okay. And then you get to some of the more finite plots, like Mira telling Bran, we don't have a maester, we don't have men at arms to train us in Greywater Watch. Uh, no maesters, you'd have to send to the Citadel for one to get one and then see Maester Wallace, who did all of the dirty work in Southern Ambitions, right? Helped tear apart tons of people's lives uh, <laughs> just so that the North can maybe, you know, pair up with the Riverlands, with the yada, yada, yada. So all these ideas of people marrying together and having maesters, most of the time the maesters are the gray rats. Just ask Barbary, right? <laughs> Barbary Rizwell knows. Babs Rizwell. Babs. Babs. Yeah, George had said in this so speak Martin in 2002 in an interview about how he plays his biggest reveals. And he says, you can ask, but don't count on answers. I like to keep my hand hidden till it's time to play my cards. It's wild so, cards. Wild cards. So that's from August in 2002. And it is how George plays this, right? Like, we do not know R plus L equals J. Nope. 100%. I mean, if you read the books, you should. But we don't know. I mean, if you 100%. Can read. Yeah. Not many can. So that's a lot. There are audio books. Damn it. Um, We don't we don't have like hard reveals on these things, but he the only way any of this would be revealed would be at the end. Right. Revealing Mm -hmm. the Danes in the winds of winter. What are you going to do? All of a sudden, George is going to say, and this was the secret about the Danes all along. No, it's not coming to us till a dream of spring. It is. Ashara Dane. I am still alive. (laughs) 
Hello, audience. Yeah. And if we did get the reveal, and it's all for fun, but if we did get the reveal, I think uh, I've always had this great image in my head. I think I talked about it on Not a Cast, but of John going and meeting, going down to Greywater Watch to talk to Howland about his parents. Well, Howland doesn't know much about Rhaegar, but Ashara probably would. Mm hmm. Probably knows quite a lot. And uh, this is one thing I was thinking about. Um, as as I think about Hashara and as we've been going through the stream is we're really emphasizing the idea that the Danes and probably Ashara and Arthur are read into this stuff, that they have values that are very, very similar to what we know from Howland. Uh, we know he went to the Isle of Faces for a year to learn about the old gods, prophecy, all this magical stuff and shows up at Harrenhal specifically with a goal in mind. We, we're not... Jojen and Mira do not tell us exactly what that goal is, but he's there doing something. And mm -hmm. it's something that doesn't seem to make sense. Wow, shades of Arthur and Ashara. Um, it's also, You're welcome. It's also that, um, much like Rhaegar, Ashara probably does have this other side to her that nobody knows. Like, much in the same way that Barrison thinks about Rhaegar just playing his harp and like, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, Ashara probably has this sort of second life to her, something that her and Howland can bond over and a looking into the higher mysteries. And I think that's something that's kind of undersold when you look at the um, the stated romance between Ned and Ashara. They don't really have that crossover. Ned doesn't think about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, he thought she was cute. Maybe they did actually hook up because Barrison thinks that uh, she got dishonored and that a Stark had to do with it. Okay, whatever that means to Barristan mm -hmm. being dishonored, it, it's not really a personality match for Ashara Dane and Ned, but definitely Howland Reed does, if you take what Jojen and Mira are like. Yeah, and I mean, that's basically how Ashara would have grown up, right? She's around this weird mystical house with her like family. It's always like, we must do important things. We won't talk about them, especially not on a page of A Song of Ice and Fire, but definitely we're going to do them. <laughs> um, <laughs> It does make sense and it wraps it up really well. I mean, that's the thing is, uh, I think especially for Ashara, she's been put on a pedestal by every character, right? Every single character has grievances that they are unhappy with about themselves that they lay on her. Mm -hmm. uh, Catelyn, you know, is like, I bet it was her. She's the reason we're cursed with Jon, Jon Snow, which again, why do you think that rumor went around about Jon being Ashara's kid? Everyone saw them probably hooking up. I mean, look at the hair color, right? The kid yeah. came out, thank God, without silver hair. Like, Oof. thank God that John came out without silver hair. But if Ned had to explain that, you better hope the seed is strong from House Stark on that, you know, because <laughs> shit. Um, it, it, it just like it, it's a nice way to put a ribbon on it. And you don't even need more than a paragraph to do it right. John can go south and uh, say, see something like uh, Howland's pretty slender tall wife with her dark violet eyes or haunting. purple eyes you know like yeah. no not haunting they'd be laughing now matt come okay, on i'm sorry did you not pay attention get with it no i'm just kidding i was also thinking about that while you're saying that it's it's amazing that the the reeds come away thinking she has laughing eyes well that's the way somebody who loves her would describe her well, also, like, why, where do you think this story of everything that happened at Heron Hall came from? It does not read like a story that your dad tells you. It reads like a story about your mom and dad falling in love. Yeah. Why was Howland stalking her so hard? Hmm. Yeah, that's one thing people overlook. Like, they go like, oh, Ned was trying to dance with her and Brandon went up to her. But then you... You read back to it and it's like Howland's eye fucking her the entire time. He is obsessed with her throughout the entire journey. It's... Yeah. Maybe there's some element of green sight or something in the 
maybe her purple eyes shine in the dream world or something like that. Maybe that's how he recognized her. And I mean, it also goes without saying, look at their colors. They're bloop, right across the wheel from each other, the purple and the green, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's just interesting how they're laid against each other in history, how they're very much so described as each other with the eyes and, you know, coming to this land and settling here and possibly being a mix of this and a mix of that. It's weird that when everyone discusses the biggest mysteries in A Song of Ice and Fire, the people that hold the keys are the people that are moved off of the page conveniently by George, Ashara Dane, Howland Reed. Wouldn't it just be easier if both of them had the same story to tell after all these years? Mm-hmm. It'd be it'd be a really good way to introduce it. I mean, the show wrote out Howland Reed. He never showed up. He never revealed any information. We instead got it from Bran. But in a way, Bran and Howland serve the same role, where they are these magical um seeing through the bullshit of history and knowing the truth. I mean, I can see why they gave that to Bran instead of Howland. Like, do you want to cast Howland? Do you want to write him in? Does the audience even really know who he is at this point? Okay, I get it. But what they do for the story and what they can do for John are identical. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oof. Wow, that was a lot of Ashara talk. Uh, everyone take a drink of water. Everyone, yep. Yeah, take a shot. We talked about Ashara. Take many shots. Hashada. <laughs> I only made one joke. I only made two jokes about her dying on a rock. So, you know, okay, three now. What? Sorry, I went deaf. She went deaf for a second. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you guys are seeing this. 185 people in the chat watching us right now. Thank you all for taking your Saturday to join me and Chloe talk about our favorite house. I do love the Danes. Um, I mean, I'm, obviously, I wear a lot of Stark stuff and all that stuff, but the Danes are the protagonists of a different story, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like I said, it's the shadow, right? This is Rhaegar and Lyanna's romance was so big and burnt such a huge fire that like everyone had to live in the shadow, not the shadow of a shy different shadow. But um, (laughs) they lived in that shadow and things happened during that time. Stuff happening during that time is how we got to this place in the story right now. Like, yes, Lyanna and Rhaegar were big, but that stuff feels bigger. It is very much gets to the center of George's prime mystery. It's very important that the Danes are there, the Reeds are there, and the Starks. It's and the Targaryens. It's like these four houses, two of those you could predict as the center of the Song of Ice and Fire, but very much so the supporting roles are played by these um purple star boys and the green mm-hmm. um alligator boys. Complimentary. Yeah, complimentary figures. Um all right, so let's move on. You have something here that you really, really, really want to talk about with Edric Dane. So uh, who is Edric Dane? Um, if people forgot him from the story, I guess, because he's he's a relatively yes. minor character. Absolutely. Blink and you miss him. Uh, you might recognize him from Arya's chapters in A Storm of Swords. So my favorite Arya chapters, actually, in seven and eight, when she is with the Brotherhood Without Banners. She meets a boy that Gendry's real jealous about, apparently, um, and it's Edric Dane. Uh, he is the Lord of Starfall. He tells us he has ash blonde hair and dark eyes that are so blue, they're almost purple, right? And he came from the unnamed elder brother. So we're just going to call him elder brother, oldest brother, Dane, that guy. Uh, there's no names. There are actually, fun fact, the 
dad, Dane, the father of Ashara and Arthur and the elder Dane, his name in the show, if you zoom in during, I think it's during Two Swords, is Barrick Dane. All of my friends like to mock me about that. They uh, they made a new character out of it that they want to cosplay Barrick Dane. You know, oh, that's what they keep telling one. me. Shut up. <laughs> they got the purple coloring and everything. Exactly, exactly. But yes, so if you zoom in in the the white book, you can see it says Barrick Dane, the father, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Barristan accompanied a bunch of like word vomit in there. Uh, but I wrote this theory about Edric Dane, the character we're talking about, who is currently coming home from the Brotherhood Without Banners. He's heading, I believe he is south of the Mander with the Huntsman and with Greenbeard. Yes. Um, and we just did a huge episode that we talked about Greenbeard, actually, in full. Never heard anyone say that. Uh, Zionius on Reddit has a great theory about it that we talk about. Uh, we did that for our Patreon. That was really fun. But Greenbeard and the Huntsman are going south of the Mander, and I believe Edric's with them. So he is going to head home to Starfall. Not sure if they're dropping him first or dropping him after. He might find a little bit of craziness south of the Mander with them. You don't say. I know you have a theory we'll talk about with that. But a few years ago, I think it was like three years ago, two years ago, I wrote a theory about Edric's parentage because we know that his dad was supposed to be the elder Dane, the elder brother Dane. Everybody is always like, no, he could have been secretly Ashara and Neds or no, he's this and blah, blah, blah. We don't have time for that. When are we going to hear about that? We just don't have time. When is George going to reveal it? Yeah, I always think like you have to think logically. How many chapters do we need and when could it be revealed and whose POV would reveal it? No, it's not happening. It's not true. We don't. There's no thematic need for that. (laughs) So I wrote a theory, though, about who his mother was, because he doesn't look quite like the described Danes we know, right? Which is basically Ashara. We know Ashara Ashara. has dark hair. Yeah, but it makes me wonder, okay, so who was Edric's mother that made him have ash blonde hair? Was it just randomly he came out that way or was it maybe he could have had a mom with blonde hair? I don't know. I don't know. But it got me into doing a lot of date crunching. So the elder Dane brother marries Illyria Dane off to Beric Dondarrion. So this is going to bring us all the way back to when we were talking about the Marcher Lords earlier, who come down on the Blackmonts, the Fowlers, the Wiles, and the Manwoodies and the Ironwoods. So I think the elder Dane brother likely married Illyria off to Beric to create a political union to stop the Marcher Lords, which are all those Stormlands and Reach guys right there along the coast, mm-hmm. from coming down and messing with them. Um, Illyria gets betrothed in 294 AC. She's around 12 to 14 pretty much now. So uh, I'd assume highborn betrothals occur, you know, 11 to 14 flowering age, etc. from what we've seen. The eldest Dane brother would have been the Lord of Starfall somewhere from at the latest 287 AC on. So that means that the mom and dad Dane deaths have to be somewhere like from 280 to 287 if Illyria was born 12 years before 294. So her betrothal is 294. The eldest Dane brother is the Lord at this time of House Mm -hmm. Dane, and he would have made that match for her at that age. Edric becomes the Lord of Starfall as early as 297 AC, so that means his dad would have had to die between 294 and 297 AC for him to be the Lord of Starfall. (laughs) I do have a graph of all of this. So most of the family died off from 283 to like 290. Uh, Edric goes off to Paige for Beric Dondarrion at age 12. 
which would have been probably a couple years, you know, after or during when Illyria and Barrett get engaged. If the eldest brother had married a lady of House Fowler, possibly, him creating a match for Illyria and sending Edric to Page for the Dondarians could be very advantageous to bind the Marcher Lords to House Dane, meaning peace between House Fowler and the Marches and a bunch of other places. Um, and so everything that came of this ridiculous number crunching that I did one day because I was really <laughs> bored, I stopped at Walgreens, I grabbed a big poster board and I started like marking up with a purple marker and gray marker, different things on a timeline, just so I could visualize it, is that Elio Garcia uh, <sighs> commented on it. It was the first comment, anything Dane. And if Elio comments, I'm like, interesting. Tell me more, Elio. And he <laughs> said that for what it's worth, George's draft of the Dane tree meaning that he's seen the draft, lucky sucker, uh, included Edric's mom. <gasps> yes, he didn't say if I was right or wrong, but he did say that. And that George intends possibly to publish it in the Winds of Winter, it sounds like, in the appendix. Hmm. Mm. This is one of those weird things where we know a lot about the Danes in, in like a broad sense, but we really don't know the details. And it's not like George isn't interested in it. Like, this is one of those things like I don't think we're ever going to know much about Ned's mother, but for some reason he wants us to know the Dane family tree. And also like he's holding back other information, like he's holding back their house words. Why don't this is the house that should have house words and they're not there. Although you uh, when you posted this comment, you noticed that Elio had changed his flair. Yeah, and I don't really go on Reddit that often. I know uh, you might be on there, obviously, a little more with your moderation duties. But I do not go on often. But I think his is we bring the light dawn or we bring the dawns or dawn bring this light. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. And I had theorized for mine. I like I mean, Fallen and Reborn is easier. Uh, but my two favorites were we bring the dawn or when the night is darkest. So I don't know. I never noticed he changed his flair to that. And it makes me wonder. I'm like, hmm, what do you know? What do you know that we don't? A little something from Elio from his obsession with Danes, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe he got something from George. He's having a little fun <laughs> with it. But yeah, I, I think this is this is really interesting in terms of what's the fallout for House Dane after Ashara and Arthur they they hitch themselves to the dragons. It falls apart. This is their new plan. S something with the Marcher Lords. Something with. But it's also really interesting that it's Mary um, Beric Dondarrion comes into this, mm -hmm. arguably one of the highest fantasy characters in the story. Comes back from the dead, like becomes obsessed with her lore. It's like he touches the Danes, and all of a sudden the gods, like erupt him into magic and an important role. I mean, his name and the, the sigil makes sense, too. But everyone that seems to be touching the Danes in the current story, their lives explode with high fantasy afterwards. Yeah, Arya, obviously. I mean, Arya completely takes her identity away and pieces out, you know, that's huge. Um, I just really think I think there's a lot there with the connection to the current story. And I think the Danes are definitely being interworked where maybe we aren't seeing or paying attention, but there's a lot of magical elements that they are definitely going to be involved in. And uh, I think we'll talk about it a bit, but it makes your Dane showdown at the Tower oh, yes. of Joy theory so good. All right. So this is one I wrote a few years ago. Um, this is after the, I think this was after I came up with the Brienne Pretty Maris thing, um, which is basically that George created the wind blown and a bunch of characters in a feast for crows and a dance with dragons. 
um, out of these discarded ideas that they had for the five-year gap, which is that he was going to move the narrative forward five years in order to age up a lot of his characters that were uncomfortably young for what they were doing, particularly like characters like Bran and Arya and Sansa. Um, he gave it up. Um, but one of the things that happened in the meantime is that Edric Dane seems poised at the end of the Storm of Swords for having a much larger role. And if you move him forward five years, suddenly he's not just a weird little teenager with his <laughs> ash blonde hair and his seemingly looking like Aegon the Sixth, um, which is also a weird connection. But he would be a full grown man at that point. He would have experience in the field. He's the Lord of Starfall. Maybe he's the Sword of the Morning. Instead, that doesn't happen. But George invents a Dane character to fill the adult kind of broken character anyway in Darkstar, Gerald Dane, not of the main Dane house of the cadet branch, the High Hermitage, um, by the way, San Rixian. Yes, we are now talking about Darkstar. You can commence fangirling and talking about him. But these, it's not that Edric's now dead. He's still in the story. He is still going south, like you said, with Greenbeard. He's probably on his way to Starfall, which is where Gerald Dane is on his way to. He's, uh, he has slashed Marcella, um, Marcella Baratheon or Lannister. Uh, he has escaped from Ariane Martell's whole plot thing with his head, which was kind of surprising that he was able to do that to begin with. It sort of seems like his, from his introduction that he's going to be one of the dumbasses that dies to Ariel Hota. No, instead, Darkstar makes his escape and Obara Sand and now Arya or Ario, sorry, weird naming convention there are on their way to root him out from uh, high hermitage and the Dane lands. But Darkstar is very much sort of a ruthless character. He bemoans that he's not sort of the morning that everyone only talks about Arthur Dane, his famous cousin and how great he was. Spoiler. Arthur was probably not as great as everyone thinks. That's a big part of his character. So if Arthur, no, I mean, I'm sorry. If, um, if Darkstar's on his way to Starfall and so is Ned, well, there's an obvious thing for them to compete over. That is the Sword Dawn. And nobody has it right now. According to George, it's just cooling its heels, sitting however, what sort of... Um, in waiting. In waiting with whatever physical challenges, like, you know, like we were talking <laughs> about, you have to swim across the torrentine to get it, and then you have to put your head on a baseball bat, spin around 10 times and hit a can or something like that, whatever it is. It's still there, and there's two Danes, one who has sort of a right to it in Edric, probably. He seems to be the more noble character, someone more likely to be a Sword of the Morning. But then you have his dark version. You have Gerald Dane, who hates the main branch, who wants to usurp the power structure within Dorne. That's the whole point of him joining Ariane. He's trying to get in on the new regime, basically. So it's very likely that Gerald is going to beat Edric to Starfall because Edric has quite a ways to go. He still has to go through the Reach. He still has to go through the Red Mountains, through the Prince's Pass to get to to um to Starfall. So Gerald's probably going to be there first, probably going to grab Dawn because his plan is probably to go back to Ariane to mimic Arthur Dane to be the Sword of the Morning for the new Targaryen ruler. The sword of the evening. The sword of the evening. Exactly. He's of the night. He's of the night. Yes. Have you even read these books? Oh my god. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't read. Um. But so 
if he has Dawn and he wants to go to REN, well, to get there, because she's in the Stormlands right now, in the Winds of Winners sample chapters, they are outside Storm's End. In order to get there, Gerald is going to have to travel probably overland through the Red Mountains and probably go right by the Tower of Joy, which, if you're coming from the Riverlands, is the exact route Edric's going to have to take to get back to Starfall. You don't go over the mountains, you go through the passes. So there's a really good chance that we're going to see Edric and Gerald cross paths at the Tower of Joy, and there's even some sort of background to this that kind of makes sense. Because you have to remember, they are not Edric and, and Darkstar. They are Ned and Gerald, two previous combatants at the Tower of Joy. Ned Stark, obviously, and Gerald Hightower before. And this time, we're going to have a POV on it because Ario Hota is trailing them. And probably the last POV on it. Yeah, probably the last POV on it. It, it, it's, it's, it would be perfect, George, to have these characters that are dark versions of each other, the dark mirrors, to actually interact. What would that conversation be like with Darkstar, the second son sort of character, the sort of the evening sort of thinking about the others in that sense and how they probably feel about the rest of the humanity and Edric, the firstborn, the one who has the right to everything that can make for a fascinating battle and conversation between them. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, I guess my, like what I'm seeing happening is definitely dark star stealing Dawn, probably getting, mm-hmm. uh, getting in the King's guard for Aegon. Definitely. We already have duck. We already have duck and egg. So <laughs> I love that. That's like the best pun in the world. Yes. Um, George, George. I love that one. But uh, I'm sure maybe he'll try to steal Dawn, go north. And maybe there will be something else where Edric does, you know, end up coming back into the play. But he's just so young. I think George really missed that boat. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that comes to mind is that like Obara's definitely going to join Darkstar because Darkstar oh, yeah. is going to be joining the vengeance plan and Obara does not want to not do vengeance. And Ario is going to be like, I don't want to do vengeance. So I think it's going to be in pretty even like Ario is going to be probably upset when they killed Balin Swan. He's going to be like, we weren't supposed to kill him. We were supposed to help him. Mm-hmm. And Obara's like, you're an idiot. And now you're going to die too. And we're going to go, you know, that's what I foresee happening. And I foresee us next seeing dark star. I don't know, in a war council or something or outside of rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Aegon's. That's what I foresee happening, but I really don't know how it's going to go for him because I don't know. There's only one sort of the morning that I believe it. And that's Mira Reed, but <laughs> that's another theory we won't talk about today. I don't, I don't know. I don't foresee Darkstar doing much, but like going up in flames in King's Landing. I think that's where he's eventually going to. He's going to hitch his ride to another Targaryen who's trying to usurp a throne, much like Arthur did with Rhaegar. Going to go up in flames, going to totally fuck over House Dane again. But it's it's definitely interesting that George has these two characters running around. If you're having two Danes with such obvious conflicts, they're going to... They have to interact somehow. There's no re- there, you don't write that without a purpose. So whatever his, the purpose is, it doesn't have to be what I'm suggesting. The although your great point by the way, Obara and Darkstar are definitely gonna kill Ario because Obara hates Ario and she oh, yeah. doesn't like Doran. So actually, them trying to sack Old Town, raise an army to try to go do that would be Chef's kiss, especially as Euron's arriving with the Ironborn, most likely according to one poor Quentin. Um. 
and that it sort of gets to what is the purpose of Dark Star? And um, actually, my fellow moderator, Jen Snow, had a great question about this. Yes, I saw that. That was would, great. Would Edric have become a dark character like Daryl Jane is supposed to be or would he be, remain more noble? I think if you look at the five year gap characters, like you look at, um, I, I uh, suggested the Chicago corpse killer is Sandor, uh, pre Maris is Brienne. These are extraordinarily dark versions of these characters. So it's very likely that um, Adric is going down the broken man path in the five year gap plan that he ends up disillusioned like uh, Dark Star is. I mean, yeah, after serving in the Brotherhood already. You can kind of see that happening with, uh, you know, the broken man being the big theme when it comes to those knights that were knights, but now are uh, of the night, mm-hmm. so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think Edric Dane's time to wield Dawn is past. I don't yes. think it'll happen. And maybe it will make its way north to John. Maybe it will be something hugely instrumental in the fight against the others. I think it's really disappointing because I know he wanted that five year gap, especially because you just want to be able to like have Edric Dane show up leading a column of an army waving Dawn around at the front of it, you know, uh, have everyone have their Avengers moment or whatever. But it could make its way for John. I think that that's the most important point about what these two characters are supposed to do. Um, George has put in these really specific requirements for how this sword will get involved. He seemingly does want it involved. So one of these two is going to get it in order to introduce it back into the main plot somehow. Not because it has to, but it just seems like he wants that to happen. So he's brainstorming ways for it. There must always be a Dane at Starfall. So I'm guessing Edric will stay home. (laughs) Uh, Sanrixian chimes in a super chat of $10. Thank you very much. (laughs) Release the thirst for her boy, Dark Star. Yes, I how tall is he? That's my question. I just want to know how tall he is because like I can get on board with the skinny tall guy, whatever emo hair thing. It's, it's, I'm indifferent. You know I mean? It's more like, can he cut a sharp jib? Can he like, does he have a nice clever wit? Uh, how is the, well, I mean, Ariane liked it, so I guess it's fine, but I don't know. I have mean, questions. I mean, that's a fair point that George wrote it so that Darkstar basically floods Ariane's basement when she looks at him. She like gets the vapors and starts like fanning her face. She cannot stop how attracted she is to him. So yeah, because he looks like her uncle. Creepy. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's it is interesting that um, Darkstar seems to be doing Arthur Dane Redux and not. But he hates Arthur, but he's going to do it anyway. You know, uh, there were a couple in the chat. San Rixian just said she thinks that Darkstar would be 5'10", which is disappointing. She knows I agree <laughs> because I'm 5'11". Uh, so it's no for me. It's no if you're not. I mean, you must be this tall to ride Darkstar. I'm sorry. Wow. But uh, then Shannon T says, isn't Howland small? And I'm like, yes, but I'm not trying to bang Howland here in this scenario. I'm trying to bang Darkstar. So I'm going to need you to keep up. Okay. Need to, need to ride that dawn. You know what I'm saying? I would make sweet love to Howland. If I had to hook up with Darkstar, it would have to be hate banging. There's a big difference. Is there any other way to bang Darkstar? I think it has to be a hate bang. That's all he wants. Right. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> this conversation has taken a turn I didn't expect. Uh, <laughs> another super chat here from uh, Stormy4400. Uh, no message to it. If you want to ask a question or anything like that in the chat, um, 
Oh, wait, they posted a comment right afterwards, so I'll read this one. Uh, thank you very much for the super chat. My theory is Darkstar is going to the Vale. We find that he's Peter's cat's paw, and that's why he tried to kill Marcella, that he'll be the wing knight, hence there being eight instead of seven. Um, that would be something if he ended up in the Vale. I, I think the, for, the direct line for him, because the only person he knows is Arya and Martell. So him going to her makes the most sense for me, but there's no telling like um, how much Darkstar really knows because we don't know that much about him at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't think that he'll end up going anywhere towards the north. I just don't think he's his role is very much specific to Ariane's whole entire arc, right? So if by some chance maybe meet in the middle, um, I just. I don't see it, my friends. I don't see it. Uh, there's no time for that in the Winds of Winter, I feel no. like, for him to show up. It's a very interesting thought, though, but the Winged Knights are actually like a direct pull from history for the Vale, right? They're from the Battle of the Seven Stars and the Winged Knights and Artist Aaron. Uh, I would love to see something Dornish happen in the Vale, but I don't think we're going to have enough chapters for him also to get to Ariane, also to be involved in the Dorn plot, which is where he's supposed to be involved. And we wouldn't see him unless it was in an Elaine chapter. So logistically speaking, we already know what the first Elaine chapter is. If you've read the published Winds of Winter chapter, you know, the <laughs> sample chapter, you know her first chapter. She's probably only going to get four or five chapters total. Yeah. So to work Darkstar into a plot and to explain it, I don't know if we have the time for the Winds of Winter. I think he's going to go straight to King's Landing after, uh, after fighting his cousin. That's that's probably true. And we've gotten several requests in the chat. Um, apparently, we need Emmett to hate, to weigh in on hate banging as a concept. Um, OK, I mean, he's fantasized about Victorian and Cersei being together for that exact reason. I think you all know how his feelings would be. He would be happy for me. Let's move on. Okay. Let's, let's move on for this. Um, I think we've reached the end of the outline it looks like i'm just scrolling up because things got moved around yep yeah. um, so there's one more topic before we get to questions i pulled some from my patrons and twitter and stuff like that but one topic would be the removal of the danes from the tv show where um arthur <sighs> arthur still plays into it because we go back and we see the tower of joy but Ashara is essentially removed. So is Edric Dane, Darkstar. None of these characters are in there. Um, do you think this is sort of a narrative streamlining idea where they just didn't have time to introduce them? Or um, is that maybe indicative that their role will be smaller than perhaps we're theorizing today? I think I know your answer, but I think it's a good question to ask. We're going to see an increase. I mean, we're what we've had at least two to three mentions of Danes per book, almost on average. If you put them all together, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I think that if we see anything, we'll see them. What one in the beginning. So let's put this logistically winds of winter, okay. right? Let's do this. We got Ariel Hota chapter one chapter, right? Probably, Probably. over. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to stay positive for him. That's excessive, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ariel Hoto, we got what, one chapter, maybe two if he bleeds his way back to die in front of Doran or something. Um, we got. I mean, how are we going to see 
Quentin's bones come home. It's got to be through REN. It's going to have to be a letter. So yeah. REN, you're going to have five to seven chapters. Uh, so Dark I Star mean, is probably there. Dark Star is probably in there. It, it, I think that their presence out of the show. I mean, yeah, you can do the story without the Danes. I get it. You can. Mm. You can do it without them. It, it makes it a more enriched story. It fills the story out having the Danes in it. I think for the show, you can't include all that. It's just yeah. too muddy. I mean, most people don't even know who like a quarter of the real, <laughs> uh, a real characters names are right. Who just watched the show with no background knowledge, no podcasts, no jumping into the books, no nothing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that's something that I think is, you have to pay attention to that. And I'm not saying people are stupid that don't read it, but you have to think like, ah, my grandparents messaged me and go, I like that dragon girl. Yeah. I, I you know? the same things. It was like, explain to me the main characters. I'm like, Boy, if if we tried to introduce like characters like Arthur Dane and Ashara seriously in the show, the major characters are going over make people's heads like these tertiary characters, even as important as we think they are, not not gonna go great. They're lore yeah. heavy and they have little active impact on the story. I mean, like the uh the the Martells, we see that they're like Honestly, I wanted the Sand Snakes to be real characters because that's what's great about them in the books is that, you know, they have different actual personalities. One is nice. One is mean and drunk. One is uh, slightly skankier than the rest. One, you know, like, I'm sorry. OK, those aren't real, real things. But like uh, they have a little bit more of personality and actually do things. And I don't know. I think they could have done better, obviously, at writing certain things in the hit HBO experience, Game of Thrones. <laughs> but I think they did as good as they could because there's so much to Dorne. You can't explain. You can't explain the story in the show, man. You just can't. No, there's there's so much there behind Duran and his what he's his revenge and the interactions between him and Oberyn. It's you know, there's not enough time for everything. Um, so I think that. I think that kind of covers the whole where are the Danes in the show. I think they're streamline. I think they're likely streamlining um, victims rather than importance. I would say like we don't need Ashar to show up for them to be important in the narrative. We still have Edric. We still have Darkstar. We still have Don kicking around somewhere. So mm-hmm. those are plots that are probably going to pay off. Maybe not like end game, super important to what's going on, but George has, indicated from the beginning that he does want them to be a part of mm-hmm. his end game story. And that's the thing. Like you need flashbacks to do game of Thrones. You need mm-hmm. flashbacks. Uh, if you want to improve how game of Thrones was done, decent flashbacks, which they did a great job in the later seasons of finally implementing them. And I know they wanted to stay away from it as much as possible, but it did help. I mean, those brand visions were crazy, right? They had all this going, Oh, like when people say, wow, the winds of winter was such a well-written episode, the sapped, everything that was nuts. The article sell equals J. Yeah. It all culminates on that buildup of stuff. So for once they did those crazy little brand flashes and it meant something. And it's like, what if you had just, if you guys, and it's expensive to do that. Okay. Like you can't just get people in outfits to film 10 seconds and say, Hey, thanks so much. Here's your paycheck for $1 million for the year. You know, I mean, I get it. Um, you also need to put like name tags on their foreheads, like Ashara Dan, mm -hmm. and then do like a history and actually they did do that. They did do history and lore um, videos that they put in the extras. And she is in there. She's in there a lot. And show mm-hmm. is Arthur. Um, nothing about Edric and Darkstar. So they pretty much no. just stayed to the main two, which fair enough. Those are the 
um, and if you're doing backstory, these those are the most important. Whereas Edric mm-hmm. and Darkstar are future. Yeah, yeah. So let's grab some uh, let's grab some questions here. Uh, you guys in the chat, you know, start throwing them in there. Uh, I have some that me and Chloe are gonna start with. Um, also, super chats if you want to make sure yours get picked. Um, so the first one was from uh, one of my patrons, uh, Maester Mary, who recently started a podcast with uh, with Clint of uh, the. I forgot. I, I can't remember the name right now. Hang on a second. Laws of a laws of ice and fire. Yeah. I need to find Mary's the name of her new podcast. God damn it. I feel bad about this now. Um, somebody drop it in the chat. One of the mods will probably have it. Um, her question. Well, she asked it a bunch, but the first one is what do you think happened between Ned and Arthur Dane at the tower of joy? And I think that's a, um, that's a really interesting question. We, we touched on it. Um, is the show versions correct? Likely in some cases that Arthur would overwhelm Ned Stark, who we know is not a strong, um, a strong fighter himself. He's the quiet wolf. He's not the wild wolf, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's very likely that the show got it right in the sense that it probably came down to just the two of them. Everyone else dead. You would expect Arthur to kill of those people that showed up, most of them himself, Gerald Hightower and Oswell went probably took down one each themselves. Um, in terms of we're talking about like Hashara and Howland Reed's impact and what ended up happening really there in negotiations. I tend to think that Arthur did just die and it's Ashara who sort of picked up the pieces afterwards to build out this plan. Because it seems like Arthur went into it knowing he was going to die, that he was doing it for a specific purpose. I don't think he would stop and go, you know what? All oh, this is really dumb. Rhaegar's dead. I don't believe in this crap anymore. He probably went through with it. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing that makes me wonder, like, if it was pre-planned, right? Like, I'm pretty, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if most not like every step, like then you're going to move this way, Arthur, and you're going to let this dude do this. And then Howland is going to step in and boom, boom. But I think like it had to have been pre-planned that Ashara would have reached out to either side slash talk to both sides and like, know what's happening. Arthur probably would have known, like you said, this is his time to go. The prophecy probably says that he has to go as soon, as long as they can wake the savior. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there has to be dialogue missing from the fever dream. There definitely has to be. I mean, Ned does, we know Ned doesn't remember all of it or even all of it accurately. So that's one key piece of information we can definitely go back to, Um, Mm -hmm. especially with Howland showing up. It's not just going to be John information. If Howland shows up, we'll definitely learn about Arthur Dane. He obviously knows the whole story. He's the only one alive that still knows. Assuming Sean's not alive. Yeah, exactly. Like one way, if you went either way. And I mean, that is like why Ashara and Howland being together makes sense because it is closing up that loop, right? Because those are the people that know freaking everything. They know like everything. Everything. And it's so convenient that they're moved off the page. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, got a super chat here from the um, infamous Frank Bum. Uh, he says, Assuming Hashara is true, wow, big words from Frank. Um, what's Howland Ashara's role 
following their convo with John, can they really sit out the War for the Dawn? Part two, electric boogaloo down the neck. Maybe they guide Mirror or something else. Great stream. Thank you very much for the compliment, Frank. Uh, glad you showed up. I saw a lot of your um, comments while we were going through. Yeah, that's a good point. Is Howland and Ashara, if Ashara is still alive, are they just information dumps? Or is there something more to them? I'd imagine so, right? I'd imagine they are little info dumps uh, that we're just going to get from them in the end. I don't think we're actually going to see them do things. However, they all have already done stuff, right? They sent Mira and Jojen out to mm-hmm. get brand knowledge uh, to go teach him some stuff, school that kid. So mm-hmm. I think that is what they're doing. You know, they, I imagine howland recognizes the signs of the green site in jojen he's like ah when i was your age <laughs> then i went over to coachella and got real real bombed with those green men um i just think that maybe maybe that's all they need to do send them off to defend i mean it's not the first time that they're sending off possible danes to go defend a stark child yeah not the first time at all and howland's way is not is non-confrontational i mean like look at what he did at the tourney of harrenhal him getting the crap beaten out of him by those squires is what inspires liana stark to become the knight of the laughing tree and ends up with rhaegar and her meeting if if howland doesn't put himself in a position to be have the crap beaten out of him a personal sacrifice himself like bodily and uh, emotionally um, none of that probably happens. And you have to question is Howland much like Jojen. It probably Howland's probably playing his role much on the way mm-hmm. we're talking about with Arthur is probably that is the, the thing that if Ashara is alive, that's probably the idea that binds them together. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can just like picture it. Ashara sending her children out to war, knowing just like what happened with her brother, that one of them isn't coming back and knowing that they have to protect the next prince mm-hmm. that was promised. Uh, another promised yeah. prince. Um, yep. Super chat here from low links. Um, ah. Their question is what's the Danes end game who survives, who rules? I think that dark star is doomed. That he's, oh, yeah. uh, that he's gonna die um i hope it's edric that um so, that his brush with the magical and the prophetic world of beric dondarian has done the same to him that it did for his uncle and aunt and Ashar and arthur that he's going that i i really do hope that he ends up with don and he leads like the armies of dorn or at least the armies of the Torrentine up to help John. And even though he's too young to do anything, I don't think you're going to stop little Edric from making sure that he has a place in the great war, especially, especially after his interactions with Beric, who has been talking nonstop about the, the duty to the Starks and what you need to do in order to stop the great other, basically. Yeah, I think it'll be Easter egg if we do get him. I'd like that. Just him kind of showing up with Dawn. That would be cool, too. I, I don't know. I'm still I'm still torn. I think Dawn could show up for John somehow, but it doesn't really. Uh... Now, the ultimate the ultimate would be if John went south to the neck. Went to Howland and mm. Ashara and was given the sword. That would be like some if that happened, I you would hear me. From like your home, you'd be like, it would just be me going, yeah, boy. I, 
high five yourself over and over again, causing I'm, earthquakes. It'd be nuts, though, right? Yeah, like, what a amazing. crazy, like, also, this sword is, yeah, it, it's probably not going to happen, but that would be really cool. Uh, I just worry, like, I don't know how it's going to get north from King's Landing because anyone that shows the hell up for King's Landing for, like, you know, uh, from this date to this date, it's going to want to watch the weather. Cause it's feeling pretty green, pretty hot, you yeah. know. Thing, things are getting uh, pretty wild down in King's Landing. Darkstar has a meeting with um the, with the God of Fire. I would say <laughs> a lot of people. What uh, what's the quote? The, the Dornishman burned to avenge Elia and her children is such a an apt line of what'll probably happen. So I do foresee them dying. I think Edric will survive, uh, even if we don't see him. We'll at least hear from him a couple times, and uh, I think. He's safe thanks to the five-year gap not yeah, happening. Probably. Yeah, he's, he's too young to make a uh, effective battle sacrifice sort of character. Yeah, which probably would have happened originally, right? That that could have yeah. been in the original. Uh, let's see here. Got another question uh, from San Rixian. Um We kind of um, touched on this a little bit. Um, we we answered the first two parts of her question already. Um, she wants to know, is all of this tied to the prince that was promised like everything else seems to be? Um, are the Danes really read into this? Are they are they on board like with saving the world from the others, even from somewhere as far away from Dorne? And I think that's the key question to the Danes. Are they a shaggy dog story? Are they just are they trying to do this and they're not going to get there? Or is this, I don't know, a lot of this is also assumptions. Like, we made a lot of assumptions in this stream. Much of this is not for certain. We're trying to read into things. Like, even the, the suggestion that Rhaegar and Arthur bonded over prophecy. I mean, that makes sense. But nowhere does it say that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. it's very like, it's also likely that the Danes are just another marcher lord house or not, not exactly marcher lord but just another house that was trying to go for power and failed but it doesn't seem that way i really do think that one way or another dawn and the lord of starfall will have some role to play in the war for the dawn when we eventually get there yeah some sort of role definitely it's a decreased role now though mm -hmm. um that's the biggest bummer of all of it, that we can't really see what we wanted to out of it. But it raises a few questions on the regular plot. I mean, I think one of the theories a lot of people are probably at at this point is that like the prince that was promised isn't one person. Like maybe this is totally galaxy brain, but maybe <laughs> in the end, like the whole goal is like everybody has to join together to defeat it which is something that everybody's not doing because a lot of the houses are busy with swords at each other's necks, right? When the real threat is North, that's the whole entire thing. That's the whole, that's the whole book series, right? Everybody has their knife out and they just want to go at it with everyone else, but the Danes don't. Mm, yeah. But I think there are just several prints that was promised, right? I think Bran has a big role. I think Danny has a huge role. I think John has a huge role. Um, even characters like Arya and Sansa have great big roles. They might not be necessarily related to, but they're at least related to what comes next. How do we have a functioning nation after it's decimated by ice zombies? Mm -hmm. um, I think House Dane staying out of all of the political wars are 
a big factor in this too, saying like, Hey, we're focused on the, what comes next and on the war. We're not focused on politics. Yeah. That's a Those are great points, but there, um, the Danes, it's definitely fascinating for where this all goes. It's, it sort of reveals almost a way about how you view a song of ice and fire, how you view the Danes. If you don't value those kind of concepts, then they seem boring and they seem small. If you do value high fantasy, the magic, the ideas of prophecy, then all of a sudden they are shining like a shower's purple eyes. They are a perfect example of all these things George loves writing about. Um, there's a question up ahead. Um, if Mance isn't Rhaegar, then who is Mance? Um, kind of a different question. Definitely not a member of House Dane. Um, there have been theories for forever about who Mance Raider really is. Um, I can tell you Mance was a guy yeah. who ended up injured past the wall on arranging. And he fell in love with a free folk woman who patched him up and sewed up his cloak and put red patches on it. And then after that, he decided screw this penal colony. Why am I there? Why am I just, you know, crushing my soul working here against these people that are obviously humans on the other side of the wall. And he defects to the free folk and he leads them beyond the wall. Eventually he goes out there trying to stop the genocide that's happening against them on every side, whether it be from Stannis, who's making them get rid of basically their entire culture just to have, you know, like a piece of old bread, or if it's, Oh, the Tyroshi slavers coming to prey upon them. Mm -hmm. So that's who Mance is. Um, I don't know. That's, that's pretty much uh, what I got for you. So are you saying that Mance Raider is himself a fully fledged character and does not need a secret identity to make him important that he has an interesting role in the story that is completely divulged from this weird Rhaegar connection. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, yes. And if I could just piggyback off of that, he was in love with Corin Halfhand. Have a great day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh wow. They did love each other. I'm just saying they really Morin? did love each other. Oh my it, god, yeah. Can Quants? No, it has to be Morin. The other one doesn't work. Man's hand? Man's the hand what? The man's hand. <laughs> god. Oh my god. Um Okay, good question here from Anne Lieberman. Um, she has a question about Hashara. Do you think that Mira and Joja know their mother is Hashara if she is Hashara? How would that knowledge affect their actions? Go. Hey, Anne. Um, you might not have been here when we talked about it a little bit ago, but I think the biggest thing about that is like, yes, they absolutely have to know uh, that she is likely who she is, especially with Mira's whole entire story. Like how does Mira know this huge tourney at Harrenhal story and know what happened on all sides when Howland was only concerned with one side, which was her backside <laughs> and her front side, I guess her face, side, her, too. Side. her face I, side too. I think it would only like you're saying, I think it would only increase Jojen's belief in his abilities. If he know his mother was Ashara and that it would be like another vent, uh, vehicle for confirming the idea that prophecy and magic are not just a weird howling thing or a thing that's happening to him. It's a global thing. It's well, like and you're bringing your those bloodlines. Yeah. You're bringing those bloodlines together. You know, you're bringing together the Great Empire of the Dawn, speculatively speaking, and you're bringing the Marsh Kings, speculatively speaking, together, and that produces magic babies. Totally, magic babies. All the magic babies. That's what we. 
that's the end game of magic babies magic i hope they have more (laughs) magic babies oh they definitely are um (laughs) a super chat here from aaron m one of my patrons thanks very much aaron um 1999 actually they were talking about this in the chat how for some reason she couldn't get it to exactly 20 I don't, I don't understand the super chat system. It's weird. Um, but anyway, another awesome Sunday cast. Thank you. Yeah, she was here for um, your your Emmett's stream last time, too. Oh, good, good, um, good. So she's gone quite far from you're on the black hole to high fantasy Danes in a week. But yeah, um, a little tangential. But if Dawn is Lightbringer, what role does Ice play in the story? Do you think Jamie will bring Widow's Whale north like in the show? So this is sort of the... Um, the idea that comes out of the fandom sometimes the sword theory is the right sword the important part of what's going to happen with the war for the dawn and john snow like if john ends up with like dawn and it's actually lightbringer this is a a long-term theory people have thought for a long time that dawn is lightbringer because it is so unique that it is so odd and different from everything else like well obviously it must be lightbringer or something like that um i i don't mm, this is my this is my problem with the Dane story and with Edric and Darkstar is if Don's that important, then why hasn't it shown up before now? We're pretty far into the story. Normally you would arm your your fantasy protagonist with his magic sword by now. Like, is this like a last second throwing Don to John and he grabs it and then lights in the flames? He's like, oh my god, I'm Azora High. And then he goes fighting people. It it's <sighs> It's, it's kind of hard to say because John would not want to give up Longclaw. There's a, a strong personal attachment to him and Mormont. That's the reason he carries it. And it's his. That That's the difference between Ice and um, Longclaw for John. Ice belongs to Rob. That's Rob's sword. Mm-hmm. Longclaw is his. It's the one he earned. He thinks very strongly about what the, it means that he bears uh, Mormont's sword. So... If he ends up with Dawn, I mean, it's it's hard to say why. So I think this is like an age old Dawn age old oh. argument, right? Of uh, what's going to happen. Like we were talking about, like, it would be so cool if John like brandishes the sword, yada, yada, whatever. But at the same time, I think that there's something really important about having Longclaw, um, especially if the end game of Thrones is anything to kind of look at. And I think the show kind of streamlined it so much that we don't know if something crazy magical is going to happen. I love the theory of reforging ice, right. Of Jamie and Brienne reforging it into one sword and then it becoming like, that's actually Lightbringer. I love that theory. I that's do. a cool theory. I just like it, especially because to me that is ice and fire coming together, right? Literally mm. ice and fire <laughs> in the Whoa. flames. Yeah. Um, and that is forging a sword of ice and fire. And I do love that. I, this is something that it could go either way. It could be John get the sword and that's to show he was the prince. But I think if he is choosing in the end, uh, you know, if he is going to honor the realm and that must be more than one man's honor, you know, his mm-hmm. entire arc of not wanting things, not wanting royalty, wanting to just save the realm. I don't think he'll brandish Dawn. I don't, I also, I mean, it coincides with that idea of like having several, the prince that were promised characters. I don't think one sword is going to stop the others. Um, I think there'll have to be some sort of something else magical happen. I just don't think a magical sword is what's going to do it in. I think it's been talked up far too much. 
I mean, there, there's a reason the others surround themselves with endless armies of the undead. It's specifically so you cannot kill them by stabbing them with Valyrian steel. That is the yeah. purpose of their armies. So, um, the show's version of that is they had Arya slipping through them using their hubris to kill them with a Valyrian steel dagger. Um, although we do know that they initially intended for John to do it, that he was going mm-hmm. to kill the Night King with Longclaw. Um, uh, both of those sound fine to me. I mean, there's literally no difference between Dawn and Valyrian Steel in terms of what we know it can do. It would just be like a really cool Easter egg Moment. on top. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's even less likely to be like a thing that like, I don't think we'll get some scene of John like suddenly revealing the sword and it's Dawn and it's Lightbringer. And now he's the prince that was promised and he's going to go slay the others. And then he and Daenerys are going to have babies and rule the kingdom together. Like, I just don't see that happening. I see, like, I just see him, like, fighting with Longclaw. I mean, Longclaw is his now. And uh, George could have already gone down that path because the the um, the obvious parallel is Aragorn receiving um, the shards of mm. um, Narsil, right? That That's the scene he could have made with Don. But George has decided in the first book to essentially say, I'm not doing that with my fantasy hero. Here's his sword up front. He's not going to there's that whole subplot of Aragorn getting the sword and then using it to command the army of the dead. And then that sword is actually magic and like a key part to his victory. George has kind of kicked that one to the curb already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it still could happen. I mean, because then you have the obvious like. While I say it wouldn't be a thing he would do, there you go. It's very Lord of the Rings, very medieval fiction, very fantasy. Um, maybe he wants to go big, high fantasy. Maybe. I mean, he could. Um, let's see here. Let's grab another few questions. Um, <laughs> uh, let's grab one here from... Actually, let's grab this from Maester Mary. She left another question. Um, what is your favorite Don tinfoil? Mm. My favorite Don tinfoil is that um, it has this weird glowing quality to it, where there's sort of this thing with Valyrian steel where um, it looks alive sometimes, uh, like it dances with light, or the um, the color that you put into the sword sometimes seems real my favorite tinfoil is that uh dawn has the same thing because valyrian steel absorbs souls that they're like soul blades the sort of thing and (laughs) and, um that's it's stupid tinfoil but it kind of makes sense in terms of george's other stories like the whisper jewel idea i talked about uh from night flyers where he loves the idea of inanimate objects that are magical containing human souls and that empowering them in some way Oh, and you know, uh, earlier a couple of people were talking about his dark materials in the chat because there is a knife that's similar in a kind of way, the subtle knife, literally the subtle knife that is like the magical sword. So it makes me think of that with the soul stuff. That's interesting. I think, uh, I don't think it's as much of a tinfoil. I don't have a lot of tinfoil per se about Dawn, but I love, have you ever seen the someone building Dawn out of meteorite video? No. Oh, so yes, yes. I have the build the meteorite sword. Yeah. Yes. Uh, someone, and someone actually did Dawn out of meteorite, like forged from meteor. 
did the Game of Thrones version of Dawn, and it was awesome, actually. And you can see, like, the scratch kind of pattern. They go, like, crisscross. You can see the crisscrosses up close, and it was just really cool. And so I imagine it has to have that texture along with the glowing, because I, too, imagine that it glows a very iridescent, moon-glowy, like, beautifulness. I don't know. I just see it. It has to be glowing. I mean, it it does glow, essentially. It's alive with... um alive with light and glows like milk glass or something like that. Yeah. The, the end state of the tinfoil is that, um, if you think that Dawn is Lightbringer, then the soul inside Lightbringer is still Nissa Nissa. Oh, that's depressing. And then that, yeah. uh, okay, I get you. I see where you, uh, it's exactly uh, brutal enough for George to do to somebody to trap them inside a sword <laughs> for 10,000 years with no escape. The word was like a spear thrust to the heart. Yeah. Uh, Jen Snow uh, says night blood and stormlight archive is similar to, yeah, the, the idea of a soul yeah. sword is pretty, so, is well known within the fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. George would not have to make it up for it to be real. And he likes talking about that kind of stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Shannon T has been quite insistent for a while that we talk about the um, Daenerys plus Ares equals Daenerys possibilities. Um, so there's a lot of theories that go around the Tower of Joy, and these are alternative birth theories, like that Danny and John are twins, or that Danny is actually Rhaegar and Lyanna's child, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm just gonna throw this out there. We didn't discuss it because we're both RLJ convinced. They're, yes. they're, they make for interesting subplots, and you can use them to prop up ideas like the Dornish master plan or all these or like a Luke and Leia kind of situation. But it seems to be relatively straightforward at this point that it is actually RLJ and that Daenerys is not, she's exactly who she says she is. It's she is Rayella and Ares's child and that she grew up in Bravos and lemon trees, blah, blah, blah. So, and if you wanted to play that that way, like, George has basically said Howland and Ashara both would have been born around the same time. They would have been born somewhere around 260 to 265. They would be in their earlier mid thirties right now in the current story where we are. So with that knowledge, that makes it so like if you give a 10 year range, Ashara would have to be anywhere from during the tourney at Harrenhal, like 17 to 22 is kind of what I imagine her age at most. Um, And she died in 283, quote unquote. Now, when she goes to court, it is said that she showed up to court for a brief time as one of Elia's ladies in waiting. Now, Elia would have just come to court for the tourney. So she would have come to court at the tourney time with Elia. Month wise, it could align in those few months that she was at court that she could have gotten impregnated by Ares. Mm. However, for the way that Barristan like remarks of when she had a stillborn and died and for when she dies in the story, um, that's too mixed up because Ned comes to her and then she dies after that. So that would have had to be a few months after having Ares is stillborn. But the tourney itself was way before then. So it doesn't line up. She wasn't at King's Landing. She wasn't at King's Landing when Brandon was there. So everyone should mark that off their page. <laughs> uh, that's the worst one. Like yeah. she did not bang Brandon in the cells. You guys, there's no Wild time for theory. it. It's 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 a cool theory. I get it for all of you that just think that like Ashara is the hot girl that bangs. Um, 
that's cool too, I guess, but like, it, it just doesn't work out time-wise. So I don't know. I think the timeline is really important. Like there's no way that Ashara could have gotten pregnant at the tourney. And then when she actually had the kid, like it, it just doesn't line up. It also doesn't really do much. Like let's say Danny is Ashara's child. Okay. Well, the only way that's been used is that Barristan also has the hots for Danny. Okay. Is it because she looks like her her supposed mother or Shara? That's yeah. that's a pretty weak payoff for what would be an incredibly complex and um, impactful reveal on her part. Like oh, the the, the yeah. identity when the the identity that she's Ashara Dane's child doesn't do anything for Danny. Like, like what she, does it matter? But she connects to Rayella because of the abuse um, through Ares in the same yeah. way Viserys does to her. Or maybe she will if she starts. Yeah, she doesn't know about it yet. Totally know about it. But then Jen Snow brought up another thing. Uh, Danny's nine months younger than John. Yeah. Or yeah, and John's nine months older than Danny. So it just doesn't that that timeline doesn't really work for that. Ashara would have basically been dead. Also, they would have had to also (laughs) smuggle her to Dragonstone or like hide Danny's. I don't know. It's so complicated. Like George kind of goes against a lot of these ideas in the Dornish plotline when he has um, uh, the line, someone always tells for all these complicated baby swapping secret identity things about John and Danny to work. They require a huge amount of people to shut their mouths. Whereas the simple idea of RLJ is basically the Danes shut up and Ned shut up. And those are the yeah. only people that know. The other thing with the Aries thing that oh, kind uh, of gets Colin, me. Sorry. Helen, yeah. The other thing that gets me about the Aries thing that just like makes me go, eh, um, is that the whole idea, like, so the first book we spend the whole book being told the seed is strong, the seed is strong, yeah. and Ned doesn't understand that John Aaron is saying, like, you know, oh, it was about the incest. Mm-hmm. Um, but flash forward, it's a meta commentary on John. The seed is strong. It's John came out with black hair. John came out not Valyrian looking. John came out looking like a Stark. Mm-hmm. So for the seed to be strong, for Danny and Eris to kind of get together, like, yeah, it, it just makes more sense. It is what it is, and it's Rayla and yeah, and Ashara's role is something else that either I mean the suicide thing doesn't really make sense, um, mm-hmm. especially with the knowledge that. John is actually not her child. I mean, like, that's the only way it makes sense that, like, Ned went there and stole John from her, ripped baby John from her arms, and she couldn't stand mm-hmm. it, and then jumped off a tower. Like, that does not seem like the sort of thing John, like, Ned would do. And Yeah. Know. So, the exact, where is it? Um, basically, let's see, Ashara being at court. I should have to go reference my own work. You know what I mean? Um, in I the first, my own. <laughs> I totally get that. I'm like, did I, who wrote this? I don't know. Um, it, it just doesn't line up for like when Elia actually came to court, because that would have been late 280 to spring 281. She married Rhaegar in early 280 AC in King's Landing, and they moved to Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Later in 280 AC, Elia has Rhaenys, Princess Rhaenys, and they come to King's Landing and present to Aerys and Rhaella Rhaenys. Um, and then the tourney is literally like the next month, pretty much. So Ashara would have had to come to court then at 280 AC. 
Now, the rebellion, you guys, lasted a little longer than that. It wasn't just like, oh, and then the tourney happened and then the rebellion happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Robert's Rebellion. It was a know, year later, wasn't it? A year later, yeah. Uh, so for Ned to come and tear a baby from her arms and she was so upset that she flew off a tower, you know, it just doesn't make sense for it to be a tiny, this is over a year later. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's the point, though, right? Like, George is throwing us off the scent on yes, purpose. Exactly. We have 18 stories. Well, I think that she's actually the chick with the, the stretch marks because, you know, girls have babies. Um <laughs> traveling with egg on her i think this like it's literally that's there for us to be thrown off the scent of whatever is actually the truth about ashara right it, you're supposed to feel when cersei says it like okay so this probably means it's not true because cersei tends to believe quite a lot of false things like when she when she's the info dump that is not a trusted character a pov that would be like yes Cersei has a, a good handle on this situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's, um, I, I would say this is probably last call for questions. Uh, we're probably going to get going in a little bit. Um, so anything last throw it in the chat now. Um, and we'll see if we can get to it. I'm going to scroll up and see if find like one or two more. Um, yeah. we exhausted the doc, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah oh doc. Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, apparently there's questioning about what you're wearing. Are you wearing sweatpants? I don't. Okay. No, I'm, uh, I'm wearing legging ish things. I don't know. Whatever. They're like pants. They, they have a button. So I feel like I'm an adult today. I'm, I'm not an adult today. I woke up and went to go get liquor. <laughs> oh, well, uh, earlier I was telling you, but I, oh, we don't, we can't have that. So it must be nice. I have to mail it in. Thanks. Thanks for bragging. I'm almost out of vodka. Um, yeah, I, uh, I woke up this morning, 6am. We got together, finished sewing up our masks, went out to go get groceries. So I have been closed since like 6.25am. <laughs> Had to go out today. Um, uh, I am wearing basketball shorts since Aaron and asked. Uh-huh. There you go. That, that's how it goes. Um, uh, Uncle Joe asks about. Uh, okay, so this is this is something we did not touch on at all about Ashara, and it is the Quaith Ashara theory. Um, wants to know about Quaith's max mask made of starlight. Now, it, it Chloe's sigh and eye roll is should tell you what she already thinks about it, but. <laughs> Uh, we sort of made an um, an indirect case for it during the stream because we've been promoting this idea that Ashara is tuned into magic, that she is tuned into prophecy, and there are a few characters more tuned into that than Quaith. And the, basically, the the main reason people think that she's Ashara is that she's wearing a mask, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, if she's wearing a mask, George must be disguising her identity. Therefore, it must be important, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who's missing in the story? When I was a kid, I dreamed that I could fall or fly, but I fell. Yada, yada. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm sorry. No, I understand why people think it could be because stars and yeah, like, you know, we don't know anything about her. But it's also at this point, like, is she even real? We don't know. <laughs> I know. I, that's fake actually quaith. my favorite theory. Fake quaith that like she's not actually real. She is. She totally is. Um, 
I don't know. I made in my part two of a falling star in Westeros, my uh, analysis of Ashara Dane, which is now getting to about 19,000 words, everybody, Ooh. slowly but surely. Someday I'll write it again, I promise, uh, before John Ice Eyes is in the chat asking more. Uh, not not there yet, but part three and four definitely are open and like have things in them. They're just not out yet. But part two, I spend basically deconstructing why people think these theories are true, <laughs> right? Like what theories are there and why do you think they're true? And much like the Septa Lamore theory, if you dive into the Quaith as a Shara theory, it's easy, right? You're like, oh, yes, perfect. This is where she went. But Quaith doesn't have mentions of her eyes. Wouldn't Daenerys be eager to explore a purple eyed woman mm -hmm. that comes to her? This is the first woman with purple eyes. Daenerys, of all people, would be like, are you Valyrian? Oh, my God. Are you a Targaryen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I want to go home. Yeah, like she'd be like, I want to go home. Uh, if she had anything majorly important about her eyes, the audience would be aware. I mean, in A Dance of Dragons alone, Danny focuses on Barristan and Missandei's eye colors really hard. And of course, we learn about the shadow binders of Ashai that it takes years of prayer and sacrifice and study. So yes, uh, the theory goes, Ashara Dane is in hiding from the rebellion. She trains to become a shadow binder. She has 15 to 20 years of hiding under her belt to suddenly become heckin' mystical, wear a mask, communicate to Daenerys with a glass candle, haunt her dreams, meet her in Karth. Um, but I just, shadow binders are of the night, man. They work their art in darkness. Ashara and her family are kind of of the light, right? With Arthur as sort of the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, no, so little text about Quaith and House Dane. It's hard to rebuff, but it's also hard to prove. If Quaith is using a glass candle to communicate with Daenerys or is aware of them, she's probably using a more Valyrian method of magical contact, which mm. we've kind of talked about isn't very Dane. Right. They don't seem to have any history with that kind of idea, which is funny because I know a lot of uh, people in the chat were just discussing what if Dawn was actually a glass candle secretly. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. But I don't know. 15 years all of a sudden wants to be a shadow binder. 15 years of practicing. I just don't think it's enough, man. Don't think it's enough. I think there's a lot of crossover between Ashara is Quaith and also the um, Corn is Arthur and Rhaegar and Mance. It's yes. they are very similar, especially in terms of what we know about their roles were when they were alive or when. Well, sorry, Shara dead. Um, but you know, <laughs> when, when we last heard from them, what they were trying to do, the things they were interested in, the starlight. I mean, like you look at Mance Raider, he wears Targaryen colors. He has like all these markings of. That he should that he's maybe a Targaryen in disguise, especially with the fact that his name sounds so fake that it's his name literally means Mance Raider. So a somebody that breaks into houses that just seems like a pseudonym, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like a real name. And that's sort of the same thing with Quaith, where she could be anything. She could be Ashara. But I, I think she's there for George to explore the role and what she may have been rather than who she actually is now, which is basically the prevailing idea behind what Manson Corn are. They are stand ins for the characters he will not put on the screen anymore. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. You can look at Septa Lamore and you can look at Quaith as like these were just like your uh, five year gap removed mm -hmm. kind of theories, right? Like these are the other versions that she could have turned out like. Um, I don't know. I think the purple eyes is a big deal. You know, 
uh, it's a big deal to have those purple eyes peering out from beneath the mask or peering at you from her behind her stretch marks at Tyrion. These are just like people that are obsessed with dragons and interested in Valyrian culture, not calling out purple eyes would be my first thing of "Mm, feels a little retconned. Especially because Tyrion seems to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the hot women in Westeros. If if he's not remembering Ashara Dane, then nobody is. If he's not recognizing yeah. her, I mean. Well, like, he wouldn't know much about her because he had never seen her, per se, you know, like, as a youngster. But, I mean, even then, he would at least notice the eyes. Yeah. He picks John Connington out of nowhere. He's like, pluck, I know who you are, the old griff. You are J-Con. And he's like, fuck, you got me. <laughs> that's that's sort of what his what his character does i i think though this is one of those one of the things that i wanted to say when we were talking about corn and mance um the theories are they are noticing things that are there there are definitely indications that she could be a shara dane that quaith could be a shara that these characters could be mance and rhaegar but that's not that's not the full story oh would you say this is a case of keep reading yes <laughs> I keep reading George. Um let's take one more because my voice is starting to go too. Oh, I feel ya. I don't have that problem, but I feel ya. <laughs> uh this happened with Emmett too. My voice has started going at the end. Uh what's this about a mist theory? Bernie wants you to talk about Oh, about oh, that's the gray mist theory. Um Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it hasn't come up in a while. And if you guys know Wiz the Smith, I don't do Westeros forums, but I know he's talked about it there as well. Uh, But Grey Mist, whenever it appears in the story, check out when Grey Mist appears because something mystical is happening, like uh, Blood Raven and Bran checking in. So just uh, just do a couple look throughs. It's over at my blog at liesandarborgold.com. But there's a a good amount of... uh, misty stuff going on look at winterfell with theon in it and dance yeah definitely they're all over that <laughs> that's true um uh, rain or shine oh god they got me again this happened last stream i started reading their name like it was a real name and not realizing that it's a phrase god got me again rain or shine um they bring up a good point in shia sea star that's the other character that is hugely wow. in uh influenced by star symbolism and um Magical Speaking ideas. of Blood Raven. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's somebody that's Quaith and it's a backdoor secret like identity, I would Shira. put my money on Shiera because like her pseudo husband's still alive too. And well, and she was called a sorceress. Yes, definitely. Like some something like Melisandre, where she has found a way, like so many characters seem to do, tap into the magic of the world and live long beyond your mortal coil. That would be super Shiera. Yeah, especially when you consider that she would be guiding Daenerys with Bloodraven guiding Bran. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, following that, uh, I mean, if you want to follow that train of it of her being alive, like you look at Quaith's motives. What is Quaith telling Danny? Quaith is telling Danny, embrace the dragon, be the dragon. And if Quaith is Shira Seastar, what was Shira Seastar? She was Target. the dragon bastard, yeah. though. And what is Danny coming back to Westeros possibly being seen as? The dragons. Yeah. I mean, look at look at her coming to Westeros with young Griff already situated himself as I'm the good Targaryen. I'm here to be your prince and king, and I've been raised to be a king. But then you have Shira Seastar, a bastard uh, Targaryen, who is whispering in Danny's ears, bring him fire. 
Wouldn't it be totally Shiera if again she found herself in the middle of a Targaryen civil war? Well, if Bran really is, uh, absolutely, and if Bran really is, you know, going to play a huge role in the politics in the end of the series, that right there is a very interesting comparison of Shira behind Danny as a driving force and Bloodraven behind Bran. It's like uh, it's Bittersteel and uh, Black and Bloodraven all over again, especially because we know that Bloodraven and Shira did not end on good terms. Yeah, absolutely. He's still... I mean, he's basically a tree at this point, and he still finds himself thinking about his failures with her alongside his failures with uh, Damon and Bittersteel. Mm-hmm. And it'd be really interesting if that that failed romance has turned into sort of a rivalry between the old gods and the powers of fire, which Danny represents. Yeah, ice preserves, fire consumes. They are the opposites. Although there's also the good theory that Mel, that Melisandre is Melanie Seastar, written by uh, Yoke Boy of Radio Westeros, that Melisandre is their child, the linking yes. of the two halves. I think that's a fun theory, absolutely. I, I think it's... Yoke Boy doesn't put out too many theories because he's very um, down-to-earth about stuff, and I think that is typically him in terms of how well-researched and how put-together it is and how believable it could be. I mean, how believable it is and that it might come true. That'd be yeah. super interesting, especially with the narrative impact of Melisandre fighting against her father, not knowing who it is. That would be cool. All right. So I think that will, that's the end of the Dane. Oh my God. Corn stream. We went <laughs> everywhere. Chloe, we somehow we ended up on Shira Sea Star from talking about House Dane. You took me to a shy. You took me all the way back to Dorne, to Tyrosh, to the north. You took me everywhere. Thanks for the trip, buddy. This has been just a lovely trip down this down the uh, the falling stars. I would say. Yes, we down the it. falling stars. <laughs> we rode it today. We rode the falling star. Um, but why don't you go ahead and do your plugs, and I'll do mine, and we'll get out of here so that we can probably go both take naps. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much again for having me on. Uh, You guys can find my podcast on a streaming platform near you. We are unfortunately not on YouTube, although it was very fun to visit YouTube today with you. Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N. We are on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podbean, you name it. Pretty much all the big ones after that as well. And you can find my blog at liesandarborgold.com. Uh, that is where I post theories and meta analysis and different things. I also have a Tumblr, liesandarbor.tumblr.com, where I post some of those same things, but there's some more meta over there from uh, a while back if you're bored during quarantine and got to get in. <laughs> Other than that, we release new episodes for Girls Gone Canon every Friday for Song of Ice and Fire, except for the last Friday of the month. And we are doing one episode a month for His Dark Materials. Yes, everyone's trying to branch out. You guys have got the his dark materials on lockdown. Um, Girls Gone Can, obviously a great, great podcast. Um, even the ones I'm not on, I would say. <laughs> even when you're not crying about Eamon? Even when I'm not crying about Eamon, it's totally worth listening to. Chloe and Eliana, two of my very favorite people in the fandom. Uh, um, well, we'll have you back for a Sam episode uh, when we get to him finally, and we'll let you cry some more. How about that, Matt? Oh my God, if you get me on for... Eamon's death scenes holy shit <laughs> it would just be non-stop weeping um 
in exciting news, speaking of Eliana, Maester Monthly recorded an episode, you guys. We recorded an episode. Me, Michael, and Eliana got in there and got the crew back together for the quarantine. That'll be coming out um, <laughs> at some point. There is some technical issues with the recording. Don't worry about it. Um, it'll be great when it comes out. As always, um, you know, you can follow, make sure you like, subscribe, share the stream if you're just coming here for the first time. Um, coming out next for me, I'm working on a, uh, a, a short explainer theory thing talking about the faceless men and their coins and the ideas of identity tied up in those and how it works exactly. Um, not one of my more involved ones. It's kind of a short thing, but it's super interesting in terms of where what it tells you about George's ideas of identity when you lose yours. Um, and then after that, to please Lord Brendan Beefish, I'll be putting out my theory about how, since we were talking about young Griff, how did young Griff and John Connington take storms End in the winds of winter? I have a different take than Jeff does. It's mm. Jeff approved though. He very much likes it. I've been sitting on it for like a year, so it's, I'm going to do that one. Um, next Saturday, I'm just going to keep doing these as long as the quarantine, I think, goes on. Saturday streams around 1 p.m. probably every time. Um, sometimes just me, sometimes awesome guests like Chloe and Emmett. Um, sort of depends on how much planning I'm going to do. This one was kind of, we threw this one together, but it still came out really great. Mostly because Chloe knows so, so, so much about the dance. <laughs> Um, and you can also uh, go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe Magician, where you can get early episodes, uh, sneak previews, the document for streams. Uh, my patrons are able to follow along as we were talking. Um, patron exclusive episodes. I think I already said that. Um, and access to the Joe Magician Slack, where I got um, a lot of the qu the questions I pulled from Mary and Sanrixian, that's where they were left. It's basically just like a, a, a private chat room thing where we talk about a song of Ice Fire, among other things. Um, really nice little community. Totally worth joining, I would say. Join um, up. Join up. It's all good. All right. So thanks, everybody. Um, I'll see you next Saturday. I'm going to try and get that theory out this week. It's written. I just have to record and animate, but it's short, so it should be fine. Um, awesome. And. Again, thank you very much, Chloe. This was incredible. I'm glad we finally got to talk about the Danes. Yes. This, is, this has been a, a wonderful, wonderful way to spend a Saturday. One for the tomes. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you Bye, later. Bye, guys.